Hey folks, Brian here with a quick announcement before this week's podcast. In the middle of recording, we had gone off on a little tangent here that got chopped up by some audio uh, just problems, some internet problems about us um, at times miss pronouncing Grant Morrison. Grant has recently announced that they would like to use they, them pronouns. And we just honestly, at a force of habit, kept using male pronouns. And we sincerely apologize for that. That is not intentional by any means. If we had been more mindful of it, we would have been better about it. And like I said, we had, we actually discussed it in episode, but there were some internet issues on one of our lines. And so um, that part got kind of jarbled. It was hard to understand what we were trying to say in that. So I just wanted to come up front and say we apologize to Grant for using male pronouns. We are trying very hard to be mindful of uh, their pronoun preference. But like I said, for years we have been using one set of pronouns and it just takes some adjustment. That's not an excuse. We are apologizing and we will do better next time. But wanted to make that note before we started this incredibly long episode of the DC3Cast. So happy new year. It might take you until 2022 to finish this episode. We apologize for that also, but thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3Cast. My name is Brian, with me as always are my pals, Zach and Vince, and we are here with our final installment of Crisis Management for some time, for at least two months, I guess, um, as we prepare for Future State, but we are here to talk about, uh, I think it's fair to say, the best reviewed slash most beloved event we've talked about on the show or at least in the top two or three in that category and that you mean by us or in general in general i don't know if that's true i i think again like my opinion is always tainted by the site that we write for right like i feel like the multiversity crew are huge final final crisis marks yeah. Yeah. I think in general, it's more mixed, um, which which as I read it, I, I think to myself, why? Why was this mixed when, upon arrival? But I remember I read it as it was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember the Internet being very mixed. And I, I feel like, uh, look, I'm a huge Grant Morrison, Mark. Everybody knows this. We just got to get I think we all are. You know. Yeah, I think to varying degrees, we all are. Yeah. And so to get that out of the way right away, but like, so I understand that the greater comics internet isn't all aligned on that, but like anytime he does anything, it's very mixed. Some people think it's total bullshit and I don't understand that at all. And, and others just love it, you know? And, um, the final crisis was no different. And I remember like due to certain aspects of it being, late or even out of order if i remember correct I, I might be misremembering that but like there there were delays there were artistic changes for reasons that um, no one may never <laughs> ever know um and I, you know that and the writing and and the the ending i remember it all being pretty mixed and controversial with with certain people so 
I think that but was you're right. I think that was definitely the 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 experience when it happened. I think when people talk about it now, you don't hear that stuff as much. Sure, because a and lot of the issues. But yeah, sorry, Zach. Yeah. Well, I was going to say a lot of the issues, like you said, come from the fact that, um, you know, you had to read certain tie ins for the main series to make sense, which is par for the course for some a lot of modern events. You know, we're we haven't talked about uh, well, we we've been talking about death metal and how that's been a thing with that. Um and and yeah, the the ending, the last issue is just like, it's no wonder I like this because it's the same like reason I like, like, bullshit like Kingdom Hearts, yes. you know, <laughs> like it's, it's the ending exact, is Kingdom Hearts. The, the ending is Kingdom Hearts, honestly. <laughs> like, um, it's it's like emotional payoff without. You're doing a lot of the emotional heavy lifting. Grant and company are just showing you a lot of cool things and you're just pumping your fist like, yes, this means something. But and I, I can see how people would deride that as like, this is not good writing. But I think it actually is because yeah. he's doing so he's. Uh, I don't I don't I don't know exactly how to say this, because at first I was going to say he's doing so much with so little, which is not true. And then I almost flipped it to say he's doing so little with he's doing so little and getting uh, exponential returns but that's also not even true yeah exactly it's like it's alchemy it so. is <laughs> yes that's the exact per i'm so glad you said that i never would have thought of that but that's exactly what it is i will say that i am probably the least morrison markey of the three of us uh, I, I, I still really like most of what Grant Morrison has done, especially at DC. And especially, I feel like Morrison thrives on the big stage. Like, there are plenty of people who will tell you that, like, Brian Bendis's worst stuff were his big events, right? That Bendis thrived when he was doing Ultimate Spider-Man, and it wasn't, it wasn't a, a big crossover event. I think Morrison is the opposite of that in a lot of ways where I think when the spotlight is on him he does his best work but I I, I think I, I am more sympathetic to the bullshit claims on some of this stuff than, than you guys are not that I agree with it I think I just understand it in some ways um, and there is one part of this event in particular that I think is far worse than the rest and that's what I'm going to get some flack on I mentioned oh, before we started recording. There's one part that just to me does not work as well as the rest of it does. I don't think it's bad. I just think it doesn't work as well as the rest of the event does. Um, Interesting. And, oh, I think I know what you're gonna say, but I'm I'm gonna hold it. I'm gonna wait till you say it. Okay. And and, and you know we'll talk about that when we get to it. Um, but I, I I wanted to come back to something I was saying before we got a little bit sidetracked. I do think that when people talk about this event today, it is remembered much more fondly. Than it would, than you would have thought it would have been when it was coming out every every month, or not not every month when it was coming out in, in whatever you know messed up release schedule it, it was keeping at that time. You mm -hmm. know, I actually checked up on that because I I was curious. I remembered that it had delays, and I I wondered how bad they were. The first issue came out in May of two thousand eight, and the last issue 
the actually issues six and seven both came out in January of 2009. So the whole event took place over nine months and it was seven issues. Mm-hmm. Um, which so again that... sounds eerily similar to um, an, an event we've been covering recently. Real time? Yeah. 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 In real time. Yeah. The only difference being death metal was planned that way. And this was, this was not right. right sure. As right. far as I remember. And that, yeah, that like, think about some of the delayed comics we've had over the years. That's not bad at all. But I remember at the time people being up in arms because, because it was a crisis level event. And I think there's also, there's validity to being more upset about delays when there's, supplemental material that you're supposed to be reading that mm-hmm. is coming out in the middle of that delay. like what they should have done is if the main series was being delayed they should have not published any of the tie-ins until the delays were dealt with because like if you read i don't know when the delays were but like if you read resist and submit before the issue that preceded it you'd be very confused before mm-hmm. the before the final crisis issue that preceded it you know mm-hmm. um so maybe that was part of it too. I was not. This was the last event we're going to talk about that I was not reading monthly. I was still reading more in trade than monthly here. So I did not read this as it was coming out. Um, I read the trade. I think. I think I might have bought the trade the day it came out. Actually, um, I th- I think I did as well um, because I was so excited about this. Um, and. I think I actually, I'm not positive about this. I don't remember, but there was a, are you, are you all familiar with Hastings? Did do you have Hastings yeah. in your area? No. I, I, no it's gone I... now. It, it's, it's shuttered, but it was around, you know, like 10 years ago. Um, it, it was just kind of like a all, all like media store. Um, but it was the only place in, in the town where I went to college that had comic books and I remember going and seeing the I, I had heard about issue six and like what happened in issue six. And I think I went and bought that issue. So that might be the first single issue of a comic I ever bought. Wow. Oh, wow. That's quite the way to start. I It was either that I, I can't actually remember what came out first. It was either that or the issue of Green Lantern where Hal Jordan gets a Red Lantern ring that. Mm. In, in that Red Lantern arc, I don't I don't remember which came out first. They were around the same time. Well, um, should we jump into the event then? Now, yeah, sure. Yeah. All right, Vince, you're leading us on this, so take it away. Yeah. So okay, we'll start with the um, DC Universe number zero kind of lead in issue. Um, it's very short. We're, I'm just going to talk about Grant's segment, which is uh, Let There Be Lightning. And we see uh, a figure that we come to find out is Darkseid falling to Earth, kind of covered in, in flames, look, looking very volcanic. Um, this page is so striking. Like, what a way to kick this off. Uh, he's, like, falling between these panels that are, like, sp- kind of flayed out like a like a deck of cards or something and he's falling between them it's uh it's a trick that'll be done like once or twice again later in the event but uh 
Uh, that's just such a striking image. And I, I remember that from when I, <laughs> again, I was like much younger and I was just like, what is that? <laughs> yeah, I've never seen something like this, you know? Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, he, he's falling to earth and, uh, and there's some narration that says, you know, a war, there's a, there was a war in heaven and evil one. And that's kind of your, that's kind of your tagline for everything that's going on with the new gods characters in this um and then also in this story there's a bit where a character a villain named libra is meeting with the various flash rogues in a strip club in central city and uh giving a pitch to be the leader of a new secret society of supervillains um and that that's basically that's basically it What, what did you guys think about this uh this opening salvo. And I'm sorry, I didn't write down who the artist of the DCU zero was. Was it, was it JG Jones or was it? It was monkey. It was monkey. Okay. Yeah. Um, and there, there, there's one other note, uh, that's worth mentioning in this. Um, and that's who the narrator is, who we oh. don't actually know, but there's a tease. Mm hmm. It's um, yeah, Barry Allen. Yeah. Who was dead at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the last panel or not the last panel, the last like narration box of the of this chapter has a lightning bolt on it. And and there's a lightning bolt that that strikes in, in the last page. Mm-hmm. Um so a nice a nice little tease there. Um, which I, I imagine I I, I can only imagine how that was received when it when it released. Yeah, I I know personally I wasn't attached at all to to Barry Allen, of course, at the time, and so to me it was like, oh, okay, you know, to me it wasn't even the same as as like Hal coming back, you know, um, which had happened a few years earlier, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember the comics internet being, you know, ooh, here we go, you know. <laughs> I, I, I really, I think we'll talk more about Barry later, but I often think that Barry is the one hero that should never have come back. That I think that the way he sacrificed himself in Crisis on Infinite Earths is so powerful. And unlike, like, with Hal Jordan, right, I, I, I you know, I'm obviously a Kyle Rayner mark, but I, I like Hal Jordan fine. But Kyle Rayner wasn't always like Kyle Rayner's existence wasn't really predicated on Hal Jordan. His stories weren't about Hal Jordan. So when you bring Hal back, it doesn't really, in theory, affect your Kyle Rayner stories. But almost every Wally story has a has the ghost of Barry present in it. Sometimes I, quite literally. Quite yes, exactly. Um, and so I think that by bringing Barry back, you have, and I think that's why there hasn't been a Wally series since, because I think a lot of writers don't know how to write Wally when he's not trying to impress the ghost of Barry. And so I think that bringing Barry back not just undid Wally as the main Flash. But no one's really figured out how to do Wally yet, which is why all we've seen Wally do since he's returned has been basically be evil. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Uh, but as, as for this, um, for this uh, like little issue, my only real note I took is just that I hate when comics do this because I, I just think I don't think any story should be off limits or anything like that. But whenever they have superheroes show up like at Auschwitz or something, I just roll my eyes very very hard. <laughs> like, there's there's no reason to to bring that into con- into this comic. There 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 is a purpose for Magneto to have a relationship with the Holocaust. There is no reason for the characters of this story to have any relationship with the Holocaust. That's all. Sure. Um although the imagery does get we'll talk about this later, but some of the imagery with Libra gets very uh Nazi-esque. Yes, certainly. To to good effect I think later in the later in the series, but Yes. Okay. Um, all right. So moving on to issue one. Sure. Uh, so it begins. So this is where JG Jones uh, hops in on art, and and he's your main artist, I think, until issue six, in which uh, he splits pages with um, Doug Monkey at that time. Oh, I mean, he's splitting pages much earlier than that. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah. I, um, yeah. I, I want to say four is issue the first one. Yes, issue four, Carlos Pacheco and Jesus Marino join the team. Oh, in, God, in I issue, didn't notice that. In issue five, Marco Rudy joins the team. And in issue six, Doug Monkey joins the team. Okay, and then issue seven is... is all Monkey. All Monkey. Whenever I say joins the team, the other folks don't stop either. So, like, issue five, or issue six, rather, has, has Marco Rudy, Doug Monkey, Carlos Pacheco, Jesus Marino, and J.G. Jones art, I believe. Oh, man. So yeah. I think this I think this series more than almost any other uh, of its kind hides its fill-in artists pretty well. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, the style is is so striking that unless you're really paying attention, there are times you don't even notice. Yeah, I mean the only obviously the only ones I noticed, and I, I guess I didn't take good enough notes on that is uh, when it went from Jones to to Maki. That's. That that to me is a stark difference. Yes. Um, yeah, and and I've always heard it told that like Monkey really did like come in and save the series. It seemed like, um, mm-hmm. and he really like makes his. I I like I don't know I've I, I've always thought very highly of Monkey, just because of his work in this book because this was my introduction to him and he comes in at the very end of issue six as Superman returns. So like, it's almost like (laughs) Superman is coming, you know, to save the day. And also Mm. Doug monkey is coming to save the day (laughs) at the, at the end of the book. So, and monkey does the Superman beyond issues, which are yes, probably for my money, the best stuff he's ever done. I think that's, Pretty reasonable. Yeah. In my notes for those issues, I say this is the most Doug Monkey Doug Monkey's ever been. Oh, yeah. It's it's bug nuts. It's it's wild. The way Doug Monkey draws noses really bothers me. <laughs> so that's that's like it's just like a personal thing with with the way he he draws noses. Uh, there's everyone's nose looks like they're shot like from underneath, even though you're looking at them straight on. There's like very nostrily, um, and. Uh, so that's that's my Doug Monkey note, but we'll talk more about Monkey later. So yeah, yeah. Uh, talk right. about this first issue. 
Yes, so issue one, um, it, it opens with a very 2001 Space Odyssey opening where you've got uh, Anthro uh, being visited by Metron, who basically gives them the, the fire of Prometheus, basically, um, which sets off this like prehistoric group of people into some kind of like mini ruckus. I think one of the characters in that group is supposed to be Vandal Savage. It is. Yes. Yeah. He's the he's the villain or the the antagonistic character who is like leading the the rebels. Yeah. You know, he's the one who goes and pulls the woman out by her hair. <laughs> yep. In the um, very like yeah. Very old school like caveman way. Yes. Um yeah, so so and that will become very important as the series goes on. Um, then we see uh, Dan Turpin, formerly of the Metropolis SCU, um, retired supposedly, but still still working. This case apparently um, finds and finds Orion collapsed and and nearly dead. Um, and so it, I guess it's worth pointing out at this point that like we had just talked about the death of the new gods and how the stuff in that comic doesn't really line up with the death of the new gods as depicted in this series, um, which I think is interesting. And I think like it's Morrison pu- pushing back on a, on a series that he didn't really think needed to exist you know yeah um he was going to open this series on the new gods being dead as sort of your shocking like shot heard around the world right like that was going to be the opening the cold opening and uh yeah it didn't really work out like that publishing wise but it's interesting the ways that this book doesn't coincide with that one um so anyway we have uh you know, an investigation into Orion's death, because obviously it's a big deal that, that a God is dead. Um, John Stewart shows up investigating a deicide as the green lantern code calls it. Um, there's references made to the dark side club on earth, which from may remember from our discussion on uh, seven soldiers. Um, the Green Lantern Guardians are sending Alpha Lanterns to investigate at this point. Um, let's see. Uh, the 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 Libra's group of villains finds the Mobius chair. Um, Libra captures Martian Manhunter in this issue. Um, we get. A uh, character by the name of uh, G. Godfrey Good shows up, looking like Don King, um, and that's a you know we start to see the Earth seeded with new gods characters or new gods adjacent characters living their their new lives out through other characters on Earth. Um, let's see what else. Um, we had uh, Dan Turpin is investigating some missing kids also, and we're told that you know he go, he turns up uh, to boss Darkseid, and he's told that the missing kids went to Granny. So somewhere Granny Goodness is 
uh, harboring these kids. These kids are infected with the anti-life equation. They're essentially slaves. Um, and at, at this point, that's kind of a tease for what's going to happen to Earth later in the, the, the rest of the people of Earth later in the series. Um, the JLA gets word of Orion's death and starts to investigate. And Superman and Batman talk about the dark gods that are appearing on Earth. Um, uh, we also see the the trial of Nixuotan um, in this issue, and uh, the monitors are banishing him to exile. And I guess is it is it because is it because Earth uh, Fifty One was lost on his watch? I believe basically? so. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which that is something that happened in Countdown, if I remember correctly, right? Yes. Yeah. And so that's one of the few there's there's like a few times where the stuff that happened in Countdown gets referenced here. Um, and that's one of them. Um, the bit with the monitors in this issue kind of fleshes them out a little bit more uh, than we usually get, because there's a lot of stuff about how the monitors are supposed to be this cold um, kind of century like overseers over the, the, the orrery of worlds. But love and emotion has penetrated the monitors. And so, um, you know, there's like relationships forming and that's, you know, supposedly against monitor code or whatever. Um, and that will cause conflict later in the series. Um, I was struck by how much this stuff reminded me of some of the Green Lantern Guardian stuff. Yes. Uh, it just I had never made that connection before. Yeah, but just, you know, especially with the stuff that happens around the time of Infinite Crisis and uh, with with the, with the Guardians. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely the same kind of same kind of feel where they're not supposed to fraternize with one another. It's all about the the greater good or whatever, this cold, emotionless um, sort of watchman duty. Um, and then we see Commandy coming to Anthro's time to get the, the weapon against the gods that Met that Metron gave Anthro in the beginning of the issue. Um, at the end of the issue, uh, Nixuotan wakes up, uh, in exile. He's mortal. He's on earth now. Um, and we find, we also find out that Martian Manhunter has been murdered, uh, presumably by Libra. Um, I don't know, I guess, I, I think that covers the major events. Is there any notes that you guys had about the first issue that you want to talk about or any impressions of any of that? Um... I mean, there's there's so much that we could talk about, but I don't. I mean, I don't know go, that we necessarily have to. Well, jump. I mean, jump in. Yeah, that's you know, we can't. Like, this has got to be less about plot and yeah. more about like the things that really struck us because, like, to detail the plot and and not skip bits or like forget things is so like there's there's dense plot on every page. Yeah, basically, there, there is. There is. It's just funny, like. 
I was thinking about this, like, as you described it, there are so many things in this book that could be like the thing that the book is about. Like this came out, if I'm not wrong, I think this came out concurrently with secret invasion. I think that was the, uh, concurrent Marvel event. Um, which was all about, you know, scrolls infiltrating and it's who's, you know, who's the scroll. This could have been like, who's the new God, you know, what, what new gods are impersonating heroes. And, and, and it is that, a very small bit, you know, that there's a little bit of that, but that's like not what the book is about. No, you know, it could be Libra uh, forming this new secret society. Like that could be a thing all on its own. Yeah. It could be like year of the villain, you know, the, the, the villains one, but it's not about that. Um, it could be about, uh, the monitor stuff. (laughs) Sure. It could be about that. Um, there, there's so many things that it could be about and it's about all those things, but it's just like not really definable. Um, I wanted to talk about how cool it is that Dan Turpin plays such a big role in this considering how, you know, he's a, he's a Kirby character, you know, very important Kirby character. I think it's cool how big role the green lanterns play uh play in all of this um they low-key have my favorite arc in this i think yeah I it's have, good i have this i have this note way later in in my in my notes for this but i had said that i had totally in my mind i thought the lanterns played a tiny part in this and they are way bigger than i remembered I, I think there's the scene very early on where john stewart is in like work clothes and then he like puts on his costume and there's just like a ray of light coming from his ring. And like (laughs) within that ray is his suit. Mm -hmm. Such a cool, such a cool image. Um, Tying like the beginning of history with anthro to like the, the far future with commandy is such a cool idea. Um, And something that I don't know if we'll like, bring up a lot but we've talked on the show before about how people have um criticized morrison's dialogue and his writing and how and his like own you know self uh description of his writing as like lyrical and i i feel like you see that so much in in this and i and i thought about it a bit like on reread like sometimes characters say things that aren't it's not really how people talk necessarily mm-hmm. you know they'll they'll say things that don't sound quite natural but it still reads really well to me yes and it's usually in service of a narrative yeah you know yeah like uh, Ollie, his Ollie doesn't talk the way a human talks, and it almost is like he's—it's <laughs> almost like he's speaking in non non sequiturs sometimes. Like he's not really responding to the people. It's like he's not having a conversation with the person he's having a conversation with. Uh huh. But that's like it feels like it's part of his character, and it feels like every time Morrison does it, it's in service of the plot in a way that's still true to what to Ollie's voice even if it's not the way an actual person talks, if that makes any sense. It does. Yes. Okay. Speaking of like very, um, very, oh, I, I just blanked on the term. I'm, I just, 
butchered that. Um, wow. Anyway, I don't know. I don't. I forget what I was about to say, but the point I was going to make. Um, the the monitor stuff makes me think of the Star Wars prequels. Mm. Like visually and like with the the soap operatic nature of it all. Mm-hmm. I could like see the that. Ce- yeah. The scene with like Weijadel and uh, is it it's Zillow Vala is yeah. the other yeah like that sequence. Zillow Vala's head uh, headdress thing is straight up. That's straight up Padme. Yeah, that's straight up is. Queen Amidala. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like something about like those sequences just feel like so hyper dramatic and like the 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 writing is just very dialed up to you know the end level um the the, the line we uh Zilovala has the, the line that's like consider our divine engine our celestial fountain of interlocking universes uh save your love for the ori yes. it's all just so good <laughs> There's so many lines like that. There's so many. Anytime a villain says anything, basically, it's like the most badass thing you'll ever hear. Yeah. I think Morrison is so on point through most of this. Um, and and I'll just I'll throw it down right now. I'll admit, like, I'm a Morrison Mark, but he's not infallible. Like, I, I think his current. We've Green been Lantern, harsh on his Green Lantern. Yeah. 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 I, I would say I'm 50 50 on that. Like 50 50, I think. Some of that stuff is really good, and if you if you read it closely and follow all the threads, a lot of it really does pay off. And then some of it is absolutely impenetrable, and it's one of the few times I I actually understand what people are saying when they say that his dialogue is wonky. I, I really don't think that most of the time, but definitely that shows up in that series, and. I'll even go a step further, and this might be somewhat controversial. I don't think Final Crisis is the best work of his career, but I think it's the last absolutely great work of his career, even including the multiversity, which I love. I I love the multiversity, but there's something about it that's still not cohesive and a, a little wonkier than this. When I, especially returning to this after all these years, I really feel the difference between this and that series. I I agree. Yeah, I and in a lot of ways I think Multiversity is a much more polished product, but it's a less concise and it's less like like this is a a definitive complete story, I think, whereas Multiversity is much the it's much less robust, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I will say this. I think every issue of the multiversity is better than every issue of Final Crisis. Mm-hmm. At Taken as a whole, Final Crisis is far better. Yeah. Again, it's alchemy. It's it's mm-hmm. better than the sum of its parts. It's it's yeah. Yeah. And I think I think multiversity does Final Crisis does almost everything multiversity does but it does it much more subtly and within the confines of an actual dcu narrative yes multiversity is essentially a series of somewhat connected one shots yeah mm-hmm. right 
with bookends. And, yes. Yeah. And and like like this this is telling like an actual crisis level DC universe story that manages to do all the same metatextual stuff in a more subtle in my opinion a, a more satisfying way than the multiversity does. I'm not I'm not trying to shit on multiversity either cuz I I'm looking forward to revisiting that and I love it dearly. Uh, the one thing I did want to say was um, I just took note of what Morrison is so good at throwing out these one or two lines of dialogue that could be mined for years worth of story but never get touched again. And one of the things he mentions in this issue is the League of Titans, which is like a superhero team that gets wiped out almost instantly. And I want to know more about the League of Titans. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're they're the ones that find the Metron chair right yes yeah yeah oh and and and, and like again you want to talk about morrisonian dialogue that interplay between dr light and mirror master (laughs) is just fantastic because it's it's definitely it's playing up on the the like dr light status quo that he's kind of a sleazeball but doing it in a very like fun way i guess where basically he's <laughs> trying to get like male enhancement <laughs> you know it's not you know it's not fun but it's not no like, it's not <laughs> yeah it's it's but it, it's more playful i guess or more it's, yes it's trying to reclaim in a way a, a very gross dark thing that happened yes and i don't know if that's good or not but it's... i think it's better it's better than what identity crisis leaves you with yeah right it's not yeah it's it's not it's not even like cleaning him up necessarily oh no in a lot of ways it's making him like more despicable Mm -hmm. but but without such like extreme measures you know yeah um but not even that like his like having grant getting to write scottish (laughs) mirror master Mm -hmm. he's like uh, he has that great line where he's like, I'll, you know, I'll give you something that'll straighten out that wee fin on your head or something like that. <laughs> do do the accent. No, I can't. No. I won't. <laughs> uh, all right. Anything else before issue two? Uh, can I briefly talk about Final Crisis Requiem? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So, yeah. So that yeah, issue... I don't know where those are placed, by the way. So sure. Just jump in. Sure. Yeah. So Final Crisis Requiem was a one-shot written by Peter Tomasi, illustrated by Doug Monkey, who's all over these books. Um, and this is essentially the funeral and direct aftermath of Martian Manhunter's death in issue one. Uh, to, to use a phrase that we have, have used many times on this show, this is the good Peter Tomasi. Uh <laughs> There, there's a lot of stuff here, and I, I have been very harsh on Tomasi over the years on this show, and, and I think he, as time goes on, he falls so far out of favor with me with his writing. But this is there's some really solid stuff here. There's some really funny stuff here. So at one point, uh, I believe it's five different characters get like literally set on fire by a message sent to them by Martian Manhunter. And there's two bits in particular. Dinah, I'm not Dinah, sorry. Yeah, Dinah, not Laurel. I always fuck up which Black Canary <laughs> name is which. Dinah's in bed with uh, 
with Ollie, and she says, "Ollie, I'm on fire," and he says, "Like me too, babe. I'm just too tired," <laughs> which is which is a great little joke in there. Um, I really enjoyed that. And then Batman is driving the Batmobile, and he gets engulfed in flames. And he says, "Alfred, I'm in pursuit of some slime balls, and I seem to be on fire." And Alfred says, "Might I suggest pulling over to the curb, Master Bruce, and finding the cause of this problem?" It's just just a really <laughs> nice bit of Bruce Alfred dialogue. Um, and uh, the my one question with this is, and this is a question for Zach, who also read this issue. So this also acts a little bit like a um, a synopsis of Martian Manhunter's entire history in the DC universe. And in this uh, story, we see about his twin brother that betrays him. That's totally written out of continuity now, right? Oh, well, I'm sure. I'm sure most of a lot of this stuff may be. I, I don't know what story that's referencing either neither do um, i i've not read very much martian manhunter um i know you know there was that ostrander series i'm sure it's drawing some from that um i think some of that stuff might have come and i i may be way off base about this but i think some of that stuff and even his twin brother thing that might have come from i know there's a big martian manhunter story in the joe kelly jla run Mm-hmm. Um, that was called like trial by fire or something mm-hmm. like that. Man, good memory. Um, so it may be referencing that, but yeah, I have no idea. Okay, that was the only thing I wasn't really familiar with, um, um in the story. Yeah. Do you know who that fifth character was? The yes, that is Gypsy from Justice League Detroit. It was yes. Wild did not know that. Okay. At first, I thought it was Zatanna. Just because of like the uh, the coloring of the hair, and she's in when she gets engulfed in flames, she's invisible before. And someone's like, "Look, that that woman came out of nowhere, and now she's on fire." And I thought maybe that was Zatanna was doing a show or something. But the more I dug into it, it's definitely Gypsy. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, when we first saw her and she was invisible, I thought maybe it was. Um... Miss Martian, um, uh, but yeah. then but then we saw her like human form, and and I think it called her name was like Cindy or Cynthia or something yes. like that. Yeah. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's definitely not her. So okay, th- yeah, thanks so, for so, clearing that up. So essentially, for those that haven't read it, essentially, Martian Manhunter downloads the history of Mars into five characters: it's Superman, Batman, uh, Black Canary, Gypsy, and Wonder Woman. Right? Yeah, and uh, I think so. So each of them is essentially given a piece of Martian history and they write it down and each of them goes to that's how I figured out it was Gypsy, because she goes to Detroit to uh to like do her part for this. I was like, Oh, it has to be somebody from Justice League Detroit. Who's on that team? Okay, it's Gypsy. Um But yeah, the, it, it, it's a it's a pretty good though really inconsequential issue. Would you agree, Zach? Yeah, yeah. Which um to be fair, I, I, I'm not counting like the many. Well, pretty much everything that's not written by Morrison is inessential. Um, the, the the one that I think maybe um, is the most readable with the event that's not written by Morrison is Resist, which I know we'll mention yes. later. Yes. Um, I think all of the other like mini series and one shots are pretty inconsequential overall. Um, Besides resist, yeah, I agree um, which is fine. Um, 
all of the Morrison side stuff is is definitely uh, <laughs> mandatory reading, though. Um, now might be a good time, unless you wanted to wait until later to talk about the Secret Files story, too. Sure. Yeah, that that comes much later in the reading order. But okay, it's... I didn't I didn't know where it fell in the reading order, but it's it's essentially like a just a Libra origin. Yeah, it falls right before resist and submit, but we can talk okay. about it now because it doesn't it doesn't really matter. It's just it's essentially it's the story that gives Libra's origin. It's by Len Wein and Tony Chastain, and we get a uh, a nice connection to Ted Knight. Um, Libra, as a college student, takes Ted Knight's classes and actually steals some of his research to develop his weapon that he uh, that he has. Uh, before he is uh, sort of uh, all, all of this is predicated on there's a character who turns out to be uh, Glorious Godfrey who shows up looking like one of the Blues Brothers and uh, basically sets him on a path and says like you know if you accept my boss's offer we'll give you this this lovely uh, laboratory with all all the stuff you could want you'll have all these powers you'll have this this um, satellite in the sky across across the Earth from where the Justice League satellite is. All you have to do is accept our offer, and he does. And he creates this machine that will let him take half of the half of the powers from every superhero, as well as half of the powers of the universe. And he <laughs> like, which is a crazy concept. And he basically sucks all half the powers of the universe out. It turns him into like a being of of just like pure energy, and he winds up getting to apocalypse without a boom tube. And this was all the plan in the beginning to see if they could imbibe him with such power that he would be able to travel without a boom tube. And then he becomes one of Darkseid's servants, and that sort of brings us to the modern day. Did I miss anything there, Zach? No, but some fun notes. Um... Lin Wein uh, originally created Libra in Justice League 111 in 1974, and his use here is just some fun retconning, um, uh, but it's cool that they got Wein to come back and write this issue, uh, I think, and who, who did the, no, who did the art on this? Tony Chastain. Okay, never mind. I thought maybe they had gotten the original artist too, but no, it wasn't. That was uh, Dick Dillon. Um, but one other small note is I I forgot that I had also I read um, Justice League of America twenty one, which um, was part of the was in the Justice League uh, series that was coming out at the time. It was written by uh, Dwayne McDuffie and Carlos Pacheco did the art. And it is a kind of lead in to Final Crisis and shows Libra shows shows how Libra gets connected with the human flame. Um, so pretty, pretty inconsequential <laughs> tie in, but a little fun, like check in with DC history at the time. And it's always nice to read Dwayne McDuffie comics. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Libra's pretty nutty with it i really like his design though in final crisis it's really good mm -hmm. it's kind of um it's kind of prometheus-esque it's prometheus-esque and it's it's almost um our man-esque too mm -hmm. the hood is our man the like studded gauntlets are 
Prometheus. Um, yeah, I get that Hour Man. I guess I'm specifically thinking of like the Android Hour Man, who was a Morrison creation, I believe. Uh, I don't believe a Morrison creation, but no, you're right, a Morrison creation. But he was written by Tom Payer mostly in his uh, in his, his main so, series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Which we will maybe be reading for the show at some point. Oh my! Ryan gets his way. <laughs> yes, if I get my way. So uh, I, I think we've interrupted you enough for now, Vince. We'll be back in a little Ooh, while. So uh, that's fine. Take us to number two. All right, issue two. So issue two kicks off uh, at a Japanese nightclub where we're introduced to the super young team, and I'm, I'm not going to go through all their names, but their names are incredible. So Google the super young team and look up uh, what all their hero names are. Um, a little treat one fun note before i forget that i i don't know how i never knew this but the the leader of the super young team uh most excellent super bat the symbols on his costume are the negative space of the superman logo just splattered around in like random pattern what (laughs) so like the yellow the yellow parts of the superman logo wow just spread across his costume that was in the sketchbook oh it was in the sketchbook that it like revealed that uh-huh okay, hang on i gotta look at this sorry this is not great <laughs> to see this oh my god yeah <laughs> that's wild and now, now it's like obvious yeah now you can see it but otherwise it just looks like just random pattern wow that's, that's pretty great fantastic that's nutty <laughs> love this god this is this is so good okay all right um yeah so they're at this club uh an older japanese hero rising sun is complaining about the young heroes this part was giving off really big kingdom come vibes to me yeah uh, where where the older guard is complaining about the young heroes just partying and you know whatever um we see sunny sumo another kirby character by the way the kirby characters are all over this thing uh brian you mentioned uh focusing on dan turpin um uh, zach mentioned that for the record or zach <laughs> i pulled a brian there too. <laughs> um <laughs> uh but yeah zach zach mentioned uh, dan turpin so many Kirby characters in this thing, and and they're the focus of I I, I think a majority of this, or, or or you know at least half of this is Kirby stuff, um, from the New Gods to uh, Commandy to you know a character like Sunny Sumo. Um, Sunny Sumo ends up in a fight with the Mega Yakuza, which I just love. I love this segment altogether. Like I think this is such a a fun hang to spend spend time in like the super japan stuff um but basically what the purpose of it is is that uh, mr miracle shows up trying to recruit um people to take on the various gods of apocalypse that are uh roaming around the earth at this point um and we'll see that build over the course of these issues uh me- meanwhile and feel free to jump in if you ever have anything to say about any of this stuff. Um, 
Oh, I should I should point out that it's Shiloh Norman, um, uh, Mr. Miracle, by the yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. So picking up from Seven Soldiers, mm-hmm. and the ending of that where he rises from the grave, and, and and as of right now, he's the only one who knows that the new gods are on Earth. Yeah, in and human it's, form. It's very interesting to see like there's not a ton of seven soldiers overlap with this, but there's like three or four little things here and there like Frankenstein, Mm -hmm. uh, Shiloh Norman, you know, there's probably one or two other little connections. It's just interesting to see what, what, what got carried over and what more or less got forgotten about. Mm -hmm. Um, all right, then we catch up with Nick Suotan again, who is working at Big Belly Burger and um, disturbing people with his talk <laughs> of <laughs> these nightmares that he's having or whatever. Uh, we see him drawing. I, I love this. This is where the, the Morrison metatextual idea, you know, ideas as constructs thing comes to life, which is we see him doing like uh, sketches of. Uh, characters like Overman, Overgirl, Mandrak, and the uh, Earth Four Captain Adam, the Alan Adam, uh, essentially Doctor Manhattan, Captain Adam, um, and that will come into play later. Um, Dan Turpin uh, figures out that he he goes to Mad Hatter to figure out that uh, Bloodhaven is the location of these missing kids he's been looking for. Um, we'll catch up with them in a bit. Uh, Martian Manhunter is having his funeral. Superman's giving a eulogy, of course. Um, and again, the JLA is... Um, we learn at this point that... Alpha that the Alpha Lantern Kraken is um, is the one who's being corrupted by Granny Goodness. Um, she ends up taking down John, Hal, and Bruce at this point. Um, and let's see. Then we catch up again with uh, with Turpin at in Bloodhaven, um, where the Command D uh, Center is now. Um, at the command D lab, they're create they're growing a body for Calabac. Uh, and you see Turpin is being corrupted by dark side at this point. So, uh, the part that I really like about this is that like, as this issue goes on, you can see Dan Turpin's head like crumbling and crinkling the way that dark sides does. Um, and I think that gradual change I had forgotten that and like to see it unfold and then be reminded that that's what was going on. It's a pretty neat trick. It's one of the best like long-term bits of visual storytelling in this book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can can I also say this is, this is apropos of nothing, but doesn't Dan Turpin sound like the name of a right-wing commentator? (laughs) It sounds like, yes, it sounds like, uh, you know, Chuck Grassley, Senator Chuck Grassley or whatever. And Dan Turpin would be like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. He'd be, uh, 
talking about uh, how there's course, no history. He, there, there's no history on the History Channel. Anymore. Right, yeah, he he he's a correspondent on Newsmax. <laughs> yes. Yep. 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 Yeah, his his head is uh, shaped like a cube. Uh, <laughs> it's very unsettling. Um, <laughs> I'll leave it there. Um, <laughs> all right. We also see uh, a scene at the Daily Planet where uh, we see Lois and Jimmy and Clark. And for some reason, Clark is suspicious of Jimmy um, and then Jimmy runs away at at one point, and you find out the Daily Planet blows up. You find out that it was Clayface posing as him, again as part of the new secret society of villains. Um, the planet blows up, and Lois is uh, laying under the rubble uh, at this point, like near death, I would think. <laughs> um, we see. Uh, Barry show up to society strip club meeting, uh, b- basically because it's taking place in their fair city of uh, Central City. So that you know, they're all over that. And uh, along with uh, Barry comes the Black Racer, kind of just ominously hanging in the background. Um, it's and they're a- chasing something. Yes, I yep, I was just about to get to that. It's at this point that uh, it's revealed that they are chasing a god-killing bullet fired backwards through time. <laughs> and if that's not the most Morrisonian thing you've ever heard, I don't know what is. Um, and that's kind of where the issue ends. Anything else? Go ahead, Zach. Uh, there's... There's one thing from the beginning of this issue that I wanted to mention that I absolutely love. Um, I'm turning back to it, but Morrison has talked a lot about how he loves like the, the, you know, the, the dialogue box on the cover of an issue. You know, he did that ultra issue of multiversity. That's like, read this comic or you'll die or something like that. I you know, I can't remember ex- or, or everyone dies. Um, the first line on this issue, when you open it up, it's, there's a bouncer at the club and he says, stop, you must be super cool to proceed. Your life depends on it. (laughs) I had forgotten, like I said before, how much the green lanterns had to do in this book. And specifically, I, I forgot how much I didn't like the idea of alpha lanterns, (laughs) which Mm -hmm. was something that, that uh, Jeff Johns had brought in. It just felt to me like a, uh, I don't want to say like a step too far. That's that's probably overstating it a little bit much. But like, Green Lanterns are obviously space cops. You don't need to have like space like uh, district attorneys, space cops. Yeah, exactly. Like like, like (laughs) internal affairs for the Green Lantern Corps. Which honestly, like it 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 feels like it feels like just a sidestep away from the original Manhunters, which yes. they Morrison even plays into here because I believe at one point Kraken says, uh, uh, no, no lantern escapes the alpha lantern. Yep. No lantern escapes the alpha lanterns. That's yep. what the line. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah. it's the Manhunters. Yeah. So he's leaning into that. Like, Hey, essentially these are just the Manhunters again, but we can't, the Manhunters are over, so we can't use them, but <laughs> you know well i 
I, I agree with Brian. Like they were super lame in the John's run and extremely underused. I think they really only played into that one arc, um, like right after Sinestro Core War, where they were created. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I kind of I like them here uh, in Final Crisis. I didn't. I like they, I like Granny hiding out in yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I like I like when well this come this comes later, but I like when when they're ultimately undone, and Hal says something like you, you might want to rethink the infallibility. Oh, yeah. the Alpha Lanterns thing. By the way, I was going to mention this later when we got to that like trial of Hal Jordan part, but um, Grant Morrison's Hal in this in Final Crisis is the exact same way that he writes Hal in Green Lantern now, like over a decade later. Like the the way he speaks, his speech patterns, and his like mix of 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 brashness and like there is something specific and his voice is exactly the same. Even if that series might not be as good as this green lantern stuff, like that Hal voice is specific to me and I can hear it here the same way I hear it in that other book. To me, it's kind of uncanny. Um, anything else? Batman goes away for a long time. Batman. Yes. Issue. Yes, and, so, and if you aren't reading the tie-ins, you won't really know what's happening. <laughs> and that is the wildest shit in all of this, I think. Well, no, Superman Beyond is, but, like, the Batman stuff... The Batman stuff and the way that it kind of ties into Batman R.I.P., but also not, doesn't exactly, <laughs> is crazy. <Yeah. laughs> it's, I remember that being a thing that people were pissed off about. Yeah, I do too. Back in the day. Yeah. All right. Issue... You... Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to move on to issue three, but what, what were you going to say? Not Nothing really. Nothing important. We'll, we'll get to it when we get to those issues. Okay. All right. So quickly with, quick, quickly through issue three here, um, we have uh, Frankenstein and Shade begin investigating the Dark Side Club in, in New York City. Um we find the corpse of boss dark side at this point, because we know that, uh, dark side is currently in Dan Turpin. Um, we also see Renee Montoya investigating this too. Um, we have Overgirl falling from the sky and Montoya rushing to meet her as she lands, uh, dying, uh, like everybody else. Right. Um, we get uh, Nick Suotan's fired from Big Belly Burger because he's freaking people out with his uh, his his weird talk of the multiverse. This is essentially um, the start of the uh, "Sir, this is a Wendy's" meme, but "Sir, this is a Big Belly Burger." Yeah. <laughs> Nick Suotan's boss is uh, is uh, <laughs> what's his? If I if you know who Jeff Tiedrick is, I'm sorry. <laughs> He's the Trump reply guy. Um, <laughs> God, we're on our shit. Yeah. Um, uh, Overgirl, before Overgirl dies, uh, she's muttering about the bleed, something about the bleed that plays into the multiversal stuff we'll see later. Um, we get a we get a fun little bit where Cave Carson uncovers 
the uh, Metrons, the ancient Metron symbol in Anth- from Anthro's time. Um, and that Metron symbol, that circuit, will play a bigger and bigger role as Final Crisis goes on. Um, we get some more uh, Flash family talk uh, as they are chasing the bullet. Um, unable to catch it, obviously. Um, there's a great line. I can't remember who says it. I didn't write down who said it. But somebody says about the Black Racer, death can't travel faster than the speed of light. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, it's fantastic. Um, and Jay ends up telling Iris that he saw Barry alive again. Uh, which is a big deal because this would have been the, you know, this is giving Iris some hope that, that Barry's still alive somewhere. Um, in the last issue, I didn't mention this in that issue, but Human Flame was the one who was kind of the impetus for uh, getting Martian Manhunter killed uh, in that issue. It was it was part of Libra's proof that, like, he can deliver on the hopes and dreams of the people who are he's hoping will make up the new secret society. And uh, as a repayment for... Uh, killing Martian Manhunter and getting that off a of human flames bucket list. Um, he puts an anti-life helmet onto human flame and turns him into one of the anti-life slaves. Um, that will, um, an army that will continue to grow and grow as the series goes on. Um, they, pro- he propositions Luther and Luther is still like skeptical about joining Libra. Um, and Libra says, well, you can either join me willingly or, you know, I have an anti-life helmet for you, too. Um, then we go to Lois, who's on life support, and Superman is using his heat vision to keep her heart beating, <laughs> which uh, I, don't, I don't know the... Zach, you and I are men of science, and uh, I don't think we can explain that. <laughs> we'll have to ask uh, Scott Snyder's wife, maybe, if that... Maybe, yeah, yeah. He specifically says he's using infrared to massage her heart, which, yeah. okay. So, sounds legit. <laughs> Checks out. Um, we see Zilla Vallo appear at this point, and, and tell Clark, she tells Clark that they can save Lois, but they have to leave immediately. That's going to play out very soon, um, magnificently. Uh, we also get Alan Scott as uh, still as leader of Checkmate in this. Um Leader of Checkmate or just a member of Check? I don't. I'm confused because he. It says he's not the White King anymore. That's that's right. Mr. Terrific. Yeah. But he still does a lot of Checkmate stuff. Like he's still kind of like de facto in charge of everything going on with Checkmate. Yeah. He. He see. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I don't know what that's all about, but but anyway, he's the he's an elder statesman in Checkmate and enacts something called Article X, which basically drafts all the heroes uh, to come fight against the oncoming threat. It's very much like the recruitment um, issue of Crisis on Infinite Earths, basically, is what it, it feels like. If I'm not mistaken, that is that is the, the same name, Article X, from, like, from World War II when they were creating things like the All-Star Squadron. Mm-hmm. Okay, sure. I think so, yeah. 
this this section has like one of my favorite lines of the entire series in it and it's the green arrow bit lay it on us um well they they get the call and diana is like all right get it get up we're, we're going and all he's like no this is a this is a draft notice and he says if anybody falls for this authoritarian militaristic crap it'll prove i'm absolutely right about everything <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, morrison has a like green arrow black canary book in him somewhere oh god oh god yes yes please let him do like a like a three issue uh black label mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know if black label's a thing it, it's anymore. very much a thing yes it is it's still a thing all right i i i maybe this is my tinfoil hat thing here i think the black label is basically going to be the place where they stick the people who they don't want to lose but don't want to have in continuity anymore it's sure, the tom, yeah. it's the tom king zone it's the, it's the tom king zone it's the snyder zone yeah yeah you're right um okay where was i okay um uh this is also where uh so yeah uh mary marvel shows up as now as part of dark side's army um wonder woman shows up and uh to fight her and wonder woman gets infected with the anti-life as well at this point um the anti-life is now being spread like over the internet, over devices. Hey, what does that sound like? <laughs> There's a, I had, we, one of you probably mentioned it when we started reading deceased, but, um, I had forgotten that that was the method of transmission for the anti-life in final crisis. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't realize like just how one-to-one this is. Like you literally see people looking at their, I guess in 2000, seven 2008 it was they were like blackberries but <laughs> they're looking at their uh personal digital assistants and becoming <laughs> infected with the with the anti-life yeah um and uh and then the the issue closes on the red crisis skies over bloodhaven as batwoman wonder woman giganta and catwoman are essentially the new female furies yeah, you know, you know that old maritime phrase: "Red skies at night, crisis in sight." <laughs> That's right. Yep. <laughs> um, just a couple things. Um, that I I don't I don't know if you mentioned this, Vince. The super young team have their own. Uh, uh, I don't know if they call it. Yeah, I think they they do call it the forever wagon right like or oh, or something yeah. miracle wagon maybe that's yep. it, it miracle. Miracle that wagon, sounds yeah. right yeah yeah which is a, a callback to the to the uh forever people and um it doesn't get mentioned by this by name in this i don't think it, it that happens until the last issue but the virus that mary marvel exposes wonder woman to is the mordecacus virus that is mentioned mm. a lot in countdown but it works entirely differently here yes yes yeah absolutely differently uh yeah. i think here it's like an anti-metagene thing yes it specifically says because um in in i think it's the resist tie-in 
uh, uh-huh. Snapper Carr basically says to Cheetah, like, why aren't you infected? You have Metagene. And she says, no, I don't. Yeah, yeah. So very, very funny. Again, like, you, you can squint and see how, like, Grant passed off all of his, like, his idea book and his scripts to the Countdown writers, and then they just mucked, mucked it all up, uh, <laughs> you know. Um, but, yeah, this is kind of the end of the first act, I would say. Yes, yeah. I agree. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, which is interesting because this is also where we're gonna break away for the first Morrison written thing outside of the main series that that ties in. This co- next in Morrison's preferred reading order is Superman Beyond 3D Number One. Are we ready to talk about that? Yeah. All right. So, so. This is the wildest shit. So this takes place in the moment between heartbeats while Lois is hospitalized and Zillavala uh, kind of whisks Clark away. Um, <laughs> they need to they need to upgrade Superman to 4D vision to be able to experience the the you know the the world that Clark is about to be taken to. Um, and so, like, Clark's eyes automatically adjust to 4D vision, which is depicted in the comic kind of as, like, it's weird because it's it, like... It's almost it's, like 3D glasses. <laughs> I was just going to say, his eyes, are, his eyes become old school 3D glasses. His eyes become 3D glasses, which is interesting because, like, it's, it's 4D because... In the world of the comic, they're obviously in three. You could argue even that in the world of the comic, they're in two D. <laughs> right. Well, that, 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 that's what I was going to say. Is that like you put three D glasses on in a three D world to make media appear three D, and so to them, adding a dimension will be making it three D, not four D, because All of right. the, So it's just yeah. And- and it is worth mentioning too that the original print version of this and some collected versions had 3D effects overlaid on some of the pages and came with 3D glasses that you could use. And the 3D effects were actually really good. Yeah. Um, I've actually never read this in 3D. If, if you can find a way to do it, it's actually worth doing um, because there are a lot of really good effects. Um, as, as the uh, happy owner of a lazy eye 3d is very hard for me mm. 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 yeah um sorry i had to break it down so you can't see the schooner then i cannot see the schooner those magic eye things were always uh trouble for me okay that's too bad i'm sorry buddy that's okay um yeah okay so anyway uh they they get on the Ultima Thule, which they're using to to fly between. Again, it all it almost looks like they're flying between pages of a comic to get to the different uh, the 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 different fifty two Earths, but also like they're they're weirdly depicted as arteries because that's the bleed. Like it's liter- the bleed is literally blood. <laughs> It's like the lifeblood of the multiverse. U- Uber menstruum, I think it's called. Yeah, it's yes. There's definitely a menstruation uh, uh, reference to be made there somewhere. Um, yeah, 
so anyway, we see we see uh, this destroyer ship kind of going up against the Ultima Thule, and Ultraman is Ultraman is there, and he's uh, fighting it um, because all the Superman are, all the Supermen are being gathered together to uh, well, you'll, we'll find out to stop the threat of Mandrak. Um, but we also see ca- <laughs> what this stuff is just so nutty. I know it's so nut. It it defi- Like I'm gonna have a really tough time explaining it in linear <laughs> detail. Uh-huh. But um, anyway, we see again. We see the Captain Adam of Earth Four, which we saw earlier in uh, Nixu Nixuotan sketches. Um, which you can get into. A whole host of uh, ideas about what that means and how that works, but that's that's Morrison for you. Um, and basically, like as this fight goes on between the Ultima Thule and the Destroyer ship, they're crashing through these different Earths, and ultimately they end up on Earth Fifty One, which is described as a graveyard Earth without life, and it's kind of this barren barren wasteland. Um, there they find Merry Man, the King of Limbo, which is a inferior five character mm-hmm. and scattered among the background with Merry men is, is very, there are various heroes, all of which are said to be forgotten. Some of them I recognize others. I have, I had no idea just by looking without, without looking it up. I think I um, recognize Kronos in there. Uh, I don't even remember at this point. You could be right from the, the, from the 1 million. The J- yeah, the J the, the J H Williams one. I, he's like to the right above the guy with the like s- submarine helmet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the only yeah. one I recognized. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. So th- so they're in Limbo, where there are these forgotten characters. They come upon the library of Limbo. And a book that contains infinite pages, one story with all the other stories ever written, written within it, <laughs> which is which is so Morrisonian. But this is where, like, this is where I feel like death metal gets some of its inspiration from, as far as like treating the DC universe as a, a, a massive, epic, ongoing story. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Anytime they talked about this as a story, it made me think of, it made me think of death metal and and how it honors Final Crisis a, a little bit with that stuff. Um, so th- at this point, um, they they enter the library of Limbo, and they begin a story begins like basically forcibly reading itself into their minds, into Superman and the group, the group of Superman that entered the library. And the story is really complicated and I'm going to try to explain it. But what I'm going to say is probably not going to make much sense. So basically it tells the story of the original monitor who discovered the multiverse as an imperfection, basically on the monitor's body (laughs) right so it sends this probe down and the probe is investigating this multiverse which it learns is like a self 
it's basically like a self-creating multiverse built out of stories. And the stories are the things that self-perpetuates the multiverse itself. And the monitor considers that an imperfection because the monitor monitors have no defense against the infinite possibilities of a story, right? <laughs> and, and none of this is making any sense, right? Um, so ultimately, the probe is like shook by this and breaks off into two different unique ideas, which is one is sealing the orrery of worlds in this, or it's sealing the, mul the multiverse in the orrery of worlds. That it's uh, cosmic metal or something, and it makes up the orrery of worlds. And then also this gold-encased Superman uh, statue, basically, right? <laughs> um, which acts as kind of a, a legend that whose very existence inspires further legends and stories, like a virus to. The mo to the to the world of the monitors, right? Did I explain that correctly at all? I mean, sure. <laughs> I think, well, honestly, I think you did a really good job. A lot of it, I think, is open to interpretation. Even, mm -hmm. even. it's not. It's yeah. even. It's not explicitly spelled out, and you can read it a lot of different ways if you want to. You know, the, the idea of like a you've got this like over monitor who sends in a monitor probe that is sometimes in points in the story referred to as like the first monitor. And you could even tie that into like the monitor that we see in crisis on infinite earths. Um, yeah. There's like the, the thing about him being split in two, which you mentioned, you know, there's like the Ori and the, the essentially Superman statue. But then later we learn that that monitor also I don't actually know if he was split in two, but he became different after this. Um, Can I interrupt you for one second? This. Yeah. This is why this is the worst part of Final Crisis. Oh, no. no. This is the best part. No, actually. it's this, and this, <laughs> yeah, is, yeah. this is what no, I this said. This is absolutely the best part. This is what I said was going to, to split me off from you guys. Mm -hmm. I, I, I love the ideas. I love the art. I, I, I love this conceptually. It doesn't work. It it, oh. it it 100 percent does not work. It works like 80 percent of the time, but everything else in this in this event ties together in a way that feels meaningful and feels beautiful and feels complete. And at its best, this gets most of the way there. Oh, I don't think I could disagree more because I don't think that this event works without this this story i don't i'm not saying it shouldn't be a part of it i just think this is the weakest part of the story i think on its I own think it's the heart the, of it there there's the fact that we are sitting here and we cannot we who have each read this i mean this is i think my fourth or fifth time reading final crisis the fact that we've all read this book this many times and we don't know what's happening here no i know i think i know what's happening we, we understand like, it in broad strokes but we can't talk about it that's a i'm sorry that's a failure in storytelling no, I don't think like no. The thing, I is, think... the thing is, is that I I can't explain it in a linear way that makes sense, but I understand what it's supposed to mean. Sure. You know, it's 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 the it's the 
This is Morrison's idea that he's talked about in Super Gods and he's talked about in interviews about how Superman is the best idea that humanity's ever had right that humanity has ever had yeah and, and i don't That's disagree with golden, again yeah. I, I like i like the ideas here i just don't think it's executed that well and maybe that's because of like the limitations of a of a of a comic and it's a it's a it's two issues that try to do six issues worth of stuff in two issues like maybe maybe that's the issue here it, to me this just it's again i like all the ideas i just don't think it works that well well, we'll agree to disagree. I I think it works on basically every level. This I think maybe that this is again the end of uh, this is the last issue of Seven Soldiers again, um, because it, again it's an it's an argument of whether or not the story has enough time to do what it's doing, and I I don't think that this should have been any longer. Um, I think that would have undercut it a little bit. I think that this is like uh, this is like a creation myth you know it doesn't mm-hmm. really make sense but it does and it's sure. like own weird sure. magic way yeah. he, um, here is here is I, i've been thinking a lot about how to talk about this tonight because vince has not stopped farmers onlying about this book since he read it last night or whatever and i just i just knew that this was going to come up and i really tried to think about sort of the issue i had with it and i think that what it comes down to is that this these two issues very much inform the the ideas behind the rest of Final Crisis, but almost nothing that happens here is going to be reflected again until the very end. And I feel like you're set on this journey, and then you have to come out of it, and it, it, it's a bit of a jarring journey in the middle of this story. And I think that's part of why it doesn't work also is because I don't think it fits all that well into this. I, I understand why it has to happen here because of like the lowest stuff, but I think if this had come later in the reading order, it would have been more effective than it is right here also. Hmm. My my guess, by the way, for the part that that you were gonna say doesn't work was gonna be the Mandrak re-reveal at the end. Okay. So I was but, I was kind of half right. But that that ties into this though. Yeah, right, right. You know, because right. um, again, like by the time that reveal happens, you're like, oh yeah, that's something I read eight issues ago, whatever it was, and uh, yeah. Sure. Can I? I'll meet you halfway on one thing, Brian. And I okay. and keep in mind, I absolutely love yes. the Superman Beyond these two issues. I do think the one, the one small misstep of this whole thing is the depiction of the probe that splits off into the orrery of worlds and the golden Superman, because like, like Zach said, it is, it's the, it's the creation myth. It's, it's not something you can necessarily picture literally, but I think I think the execution through no real fault of Doug Monkey's, it's just, it's a difficult concept to get across visually and in sort of the dreamlike way that, that, that Morrison is writing it. It's, it's difficult to jump from, okay, this is a monitor to now it's the orrery of worlds and this statue of Superman. That, that one, like, visual transition from the probe to that you you can't explain it and you, and when you read it on the page you can't really you don't really see 
exactly what they're going for. So I'll go with you there. But I think what those things stand for, as far as like stories are concerned, what storytelling means and what storytelling means to this miniseries in general, I think it pays off in the second issue. And we'll talk about that in a second, but like, yeah, the second issue with the, with the, with the thought robot is like, to me, a beautiful payoff of this idea that you kind of had to fudge to get there a little bit. Um, I understand what you mean, Brian, but I love, imagine if, you know, all comic book creators who were writing, you know, superhero trash or whatever, tried to go there as much as Morrison does, you know? Again, I, I'm not... Nobody faulting, else even attempts this. I, I'm not faulting him for going there. I just think it's a it's a bad fit in the event. I'm more talking about it, how it fits into the event than I am the story itself. Because hmm. I, I even think the Mandrak thing at the end doesn't really fit in with the rest of the event. Yeah. It's a story about Darkseid. It's a story about the New Gods. It's a story about you know, earth mm-hmm. un- under that spell. And then all of this feels like a, it feels like a weird coda to that. I don't think it really fits. I think it's good. I don't think it fits. That's again, like I, but it's also a story about the monitors and this is Mantrak is the story of the monitors. The monitor story is not at the same level as the dark side story though. I don't it really. Isn't. I don't know. I don't know that that's it's, true, though. Yeah, it's, it's there, kind of the monitors dropping the... the ball, and yeah, go for it, Zach. Sorry. Well, I was just gonna. I mean, like, I see what you're saying. I I do, but I think it's maybe also like a little unfair because like the monitors are there in the first issue just as much as like Dark Side and the New God stuff is. But and... as the story progresses, they're not. Yes, they, I mean, Nyx comes back in issue five, and Ouija Dell shows up, you know, here and there sporadically in some of the earlier issues. Uh, inter- I think the most interesting thing to me, uh, interesting thing to me, or interesting idea in this is like, we're all talking about this in terms of like Morrison's preferred reading order, but like, there's nothing that would like keep you from, like, you do not have to jump straight into this from issue three. You could go on to submit. And and read you could probably read up through issue five, I would think, before you would needed to read this because Superman doesn't come back into the story until issue six. Mm-hmm. Sure, and, and um, maybe, maybe that maybe the next time I read this, that's how I, I will do that. It'd be interesting. I would I would, I would just be curious because then it would like uh, I would want I wonder how that pacing might change your view because that sounds like you're primary issue with it i would say yeah, it's also just you know again I, I said before i'm the least morrison simp of the three of us and i i i think all of us can recognize the things that morrison does that those who don't like morrison point out and to me this is this is morris i mean he's basically wearing like a mask that allows him to sniff his own farts instantly like it's a it's, this you is know, very fart sniffy like yeah and, and it's just i <laughs> I, I totally understand the people who would just roll the, their eyes would roll so hard they'd fall out of their head at this, right? I'm not there, but I'm sympathetic to that in this instance. I think if you took 
all of the Superman Beyond stuff out and the Mandrak re-reveal at the end. If you took all that out, I don't see a single thing that Morrison did poorly in this, like in this run. I just in this story, I just think this doesn't really fit for a lot of reasons, both in the pacing and where it fits in the story, and also I just think it's it's trying like one of the one of the knocks on Morrison from from my reading of him is that he tries to make everything into the grandest thing it can be. And sometimes that that's the best. Like that's why his Batman run is so good, right? His Batman run is like the Batman run of all time. And if he didn't go for it, it wouldn't the best parts of that run are possible because he goes for it to be the grandest Batman story of all time. I feel like this story without all of this is already the most crisisy crisis there is. It doesn't need this stuff. I think that this is a sign that JRPGs have just rotted my brain because <laughs> if there's not like a secret god at the end of the story that you have to kill and dethrone, then um, it's not a good story. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> my, my, my last note on this is that um, I feel like one of the knocks against Morrison is also that a lot of it targets the the head instead of the heart. And I feel like you're taking Superman from this moment where he is literally the only person who can keep his wife alive. It's a very emotional moment. And you bring him into this situation where th those stakes are always still there and they, they're brought up every once in a while in these two issues, but it jumps from being a heart story to a head story. And I think that does a disservice to the story it's leaving behind. I think it does a disservice to the lowest story that this is so intellectual and not emotional. Ooh. I really when, disagree with that. When it comes back around in issue two, though, oh, God. That worked so well for me. And it falls I, short ending, for me. Oh, man. The ending of issue two is like, fucking beautiful man it's like that's really what i was going off about on farmers only and getting all the all the feels out on there like i i think that's just a master stroke on morrison's part at the end yeah i i think it's great i i mean i don't know i i feel like this is like a uh, I don't, I guess I don't really feel like you lose, like, this is still at the end, like, throughout the whole story, it goes, you're right, Brian, it goes very heady, but it's always still about, a, it's a story about him trying to save his wife. Yeah, but, the, but that becomes the secondary story to this, in the, to these, in these two issues. But that's but, every superhero, that's, you know, that's it's Superman. It's still the journey, though. Trying to, yeah, yeah it's, like, that's the, it's the quest to do the thing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, do you want him to drag Lois around on a bed uh, through the different? <laughs> yes, that is exactly that would that would fix all my problems with the story. Uh, no, I, I I just think that um, I just think that this is Morrison showing us what he like. This is the clearest example to me of if Grant Morrison didn't have editors, what every Grant Morrison comic would be like. And uh, it's that's just not. That, I think they'd be like the Green Lantern. 
I think that would be like a lot of his creator own stuff that I haven't read for for reasons. <laughs> um, you know, um, it, this is just this is just this is Morrison a step too far for me. That is completely understandable. I like I, I I'll I, never forgive you. I I I am coming. I I I'm you know rebuffing you pretty heavily because like this is just one hundred percent just my. Yeah, exactly. Like this is, uh, I I'm completely in for this, but I also like am a little. I'm extremely willing to like let stories like fudge and and play fast and loose if it like makes me feel something. And like this, I think is like one of, if not the like most, um, like moving and like. Well, it's easily one of my favorite Superman stories. And see, the, it's funny you say that. I feel nothing with this story. Oh, that's wild. Nothing I just at all. Don't get it. I don't get it. I think that the the Mark Wade story oh, in the last day, the last stories of the DC <laughs> universe, is one hundred percent more emotionally satisfying than this is. Oh, I think like the bit where like, um, which we haven't gotten to this in the story yet, uh, so I apologize, Vince, but where uh, Captain Adam like fuses. Uh, Ultraman and Superman oh, together. Yes, he's like, I fuse the symmetries. Only Superman can save us now. Like, that's just like, this is like the Superman story to me. It is this 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 belongs in All Star Superman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I really love All Star Superman. Love it. That's the best Superman comic ever made. I think. Uh huh. This this I is nothing. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry, guys. No, this is, this is I, the, uh, it doesn't do it for me. Again, it's a good story. It's Send fine. all your hate mail to Brian. At Brian is an app on Twitter. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, this just, it just doesn't do it for me. It just, it's, it's, it's intellectual fart sniffy. There's not a lot of heart oh, here for me. This, this even here. has Shazam in it. And, and I, I know, I know that, that that's how it's you know. the fake Shazam, so he doesn't. No, this is the better Shazam. <laughs> it is the real Shazam. That's right. It's the real Shazam. Yeah, yeah. it is. Thunderbolt. Um, <laughs> I just this is wild. I I think part of it. I think, and again, we, we should talk about other shit than this. This the story, but uh, part of, <laughs> part of it is just it's exhaustion for me. By the time you get to that second issue, you've had forty pages of just nonstop concept without a lot of tether, oh. and I, I'm just like fuck it. I want to be done with it. I want to get back to the story I care about because there's just too. There's just there's no. It's just there to me. There's no emotional tether. There's, there's... You're wilding out. Oh, God. <laughs> no emotional feather. Oh, oh, God. When he, when he kisses Lois at the end to give her the, the, the lifeblood elixir and then winks. God. Brian, how could you? Uh, I, told you I told you I was going to piss you guys off. I said that from the beginning. <laughs> all right. Okay. All well, right, we'll so... get to do this all over again when we get to issue seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, issue seven does the same trick, really. I have no oh. problem with issue seven, except for the Mandrake part. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, okay. So at the end of issue one here, Zilla Valla is... They, they leave the library. They go back to the Ultima Thule. Zilla Valla is vampirically draining Overman of his blood. Um, and Mandrake is breaking through into Limbo, uh, chasing after in that big Doomsday Destroyer weapon. Okay, issue two. Um, Ultraman is ranting about 
finding Mandrak at the end of the infinite book. And of course there is not supposed to be an end to the infinite book. Um, but he's kind of under the, it's almost like he's under this cult like spell of Mandrak at this point. Um, and I love Superman's response to that. <laughs> like Ultraman's ranting about Mandrak being at the end of the book, the, the inevitability, you know, basically. <laughs> and Superman says, this sounds like a challenge to me, Ultraman, which is like, that's so Superman to me. And like, Brian, how does that not make you feel something when he says that? Like, to me, that's that's just note perfect Superman. And that that alone is enough to like make me feel something. Nothing. That's ah, crazy. Absolutely nothing. It's it's it. Yeah, I'm repeating myself at this point, but I feel nothing about this story. All right. Well, anyway. Um, uh, okay. Another part of this issue that I really like is when Overman, like Billy, kind of kind of questions uh, Overman because he's a Nazi Superman, right? And Overman kind of gives this regretful origin about how. You know, I crash landed and they used my rocket to oppress people or whatever. And uh, that I think that's such a nice moment, um, too. Like, I, I think I think these issues are full of that kind of little stuff in addition to the Clark and Lois stuff. Um, uh, so anyway, we, we find out that the Ultima Thule itself is running off of the lifeblood uh, off of life's blood. And so when Zillavala was uh, draining Overman of the blood, it was to restore power to the Ultima Thule. Um, and then, like, suddenly Overman is just fine also, <laughs> which is not explained, but that's okay. Um, uh, Zillavala also restores Billy, Billy's power to be uh, Captain Marvel with his magic word. Um uh, Ultraman is ranting about wanting to take the Ultima Thule and spread the the, the evil doomed gospel of Mandrak um, because there's there's no hope for the world. And at this point, um, Alan Adam does the thing that Zach talked about earlier, where like everything unfolds in his mind. He his third eye opens up basically, right? <laughs> and uh, and he ends up fusing. Ultraman and Superman together to power that thought robot. Um, which <laughs> he like transcends that... into the monitor world. Yes. Because that's where the thought robot is. Yes. And, and us brings. And, uh, this is said to be Dax Novus, who was the, the, the first, the quote-unquote first monitor, the son of the first monitor, I think is, is how it was said. Um, it is the final gift to the world, which is a thought robot that is meant to protect existence against the ultimate enemy. So basically, this is, again, Morrison's theory that Superman is the, the greatest idea that humanity's ever come up with. And this fight plays out where it's explained that that this robot made of these these two supermen, um, basically anytime the enemy, in this case, uh, Mandrak, comes up with a higher power level or comes up with a bigger threat, uh, this super robot rises to meet that threat. 
basically it's a very meta way of the idea of Superman is going to rise to meet it. Um, and again, I love the way that that, that plays out. Like to, to me, that makes perfect sense. I can see somebody reading this and going, that's bullshit or whatever, but I, I love that. Um, also, Zach, you, you, you'll, you'll know this when the Superman robot is, uh, walking around with Ouija Dell. Um, that's just Yarnum from Bloodborne. Oh, absolutely, yes. They're yeah, just walking through Bloodborne. Yeah. So now I want a mod of Blood of Bloodborne where you can walk around as the thought robot Superman. Yes. <laughs> and fight, you know. Oh, all. that's hilarious. Yeah. Um. Okay, I lost my place here. Let's see. Um. So yes, this Superman's ultimate purpose is simply to stop Mandrake, no matter what. Um, the 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 elixir, the lifeblood, is is said to be able to keep everybody young, um, and so that is what Clark is going to end up bringing back with him to heal Lois. Um, let's see. Uh, Zillow Vela dies. I wrote that Zillow Vela dies, but I didn't write how, and I can't remember. Um, I'm looking, I don't remember all of the, all of the monitors are like vampires now. Yeah. As a result of, um, I guess Mandrake. Mm hmm. I don't actually see. Zillow Valadai. Maybe well, she does. Oh, wait. Here, yes, yeah, she does. There it is. I see. Mandrak like, just blasts her. Okay, all right. Um, yeah. yeah, and then Mandrak himself is defeated, but Superman also succumbs to, to his wounds, too. Um, and uh, with, with, like, one of his last deeds in the Thought Robot suit, writes something mysterious on this tombstone, which I think it was... Was it Mandrak that like said something about decide what you're going to want written on your tombstone or something yes. like that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thinking of a very uh, nonsensical pizza commercial that you could make out of that that would yes. confuse everyone. <laughs> um, I thought you were going to say it would be funny if I, I should really Photoshop in that last page of this issue. But it says, here lies Beavis, he never scored. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yep. Um, uh, so this disciple monitor of Mandrak, meanwhile, um, turns Ultraman into a vampire Superman to be used later. Mandrak is somehow still alive, even though he was defeated and is plotting revenge, which, as Brian uh begrudgingly mentioned will happen in issue seven of final crisis and superman returns to uh the waking world and heals lois by bringing elixir by bringing the lifeblood back in his mouth holding in his mouth and giving her a kiss and then he gives a little wink at the reader in that classic superman fashion and we see what was written on the tombstone which is to be continued which to me is just like, it's like Zach said. It 
it made me feel something. And that is something that comics so rarely do. I mean, I guess especially superhero comics, you know? Um, and that, that like, to me, this and All-Star Superman are the things that most make good on what the concept of Superman actually means, you know, in the way that Morrison describes it. Yeah, I I agree. I think it rocks. <laughs> I love this stuff. I, I, I get so, like, these two comics reinvigorated me probably more than anything <laughs> in a while. I, I, comics are good again. <laughs> I, I, like, for, for me, these two issues and then, like, the last three issues of Final Crisis are my favorite parts of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, like the, the first few chapters are good, but I, I really think like without these two issues, the whole thing just loses something. Um, and I, and I think even, I think if even the, we'll get to it, but I think the, the way that like dark side is managed, like dark side is not even the real villain of this story. He, he, he goes out in an anti-climax. Mm-hmm which I love. Mm-hmm. Um, the, so, mon- I mean, it, the monitors it could have been a are a very different bill. story. Yeah. But it's the, not. Yeah. The monitors are essentially the villain. Yeah. You know, also the ultimate tool is the yellow submarine. Oh yeah. And yeah. there's a, and there's a carrier the or I guess the carrier uh, makes a cameo in one of the, one of the scenes. Yeah. But no blue meanies. That no would have saved. That would have saved this book. Some blue meanies. <laughs> Jesus, that would have made you feel something. Okay. If 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 Ringo would have said, "I've got a hole in my pocket," then look, if Jeremy yeah. Hillary Boob was here, I'd be totally <laughs> cool with this. <laughs> the only boob here is you. <laughs> hey. Again, I'm I'm just I, I I could have very easily shut up and pretended to pull my pud like you guys, but I'm you know I'm uh I, I'm happy okay. to I'm happy could... to to be wrong about this. I but but I but I just I I feel like I need to uh, I need I need to be true to how I read this comic. And and again, I have read Final Crisis probably four or five times at this point, and I have felt the same way every single time. Yeah. I can already tell from from comments in Lad's chat that it was actually. Um... Snapper car and cheetah that you pulled your pod to. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, nobody wants you to change, and Zach and I will pull enough for the three of us. So, uh, trust me, there is forty-five fucking minutes of evidence of that. So, <laughs> <laughs> no one, no one needed needs to, need to question that ever again. All right, all right, we'll move on then. Let's do this. Actually, let's take a break uh-huh. and uh, you know clean up the. Uh, Come island around the two of you guys, and then we'll Jesus. we'll be back with uh, with our second half of the show. In Life's just a minute. blood, bro. The elixir, ultra vitro. <laughs> 
Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commanding. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinbro, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And we are back, Vincey. All right, so I guess next is a Final Crisis Resist, which I did not read because I only read the, the Grant Morrison reading order, um, but I understand you guys did, so take yes. it away. Uh, Vince, have you read this one before? I I mean, if I read it back in the day, I certainly don't really remember it. Okay. Uh, this reminded me a lot of – I'm going to struggle with the name. What was the name of the Infinite Crisis tie-in? With Checkmate? Project OMAC. OMAC Project. OMAC, OMAC, Project. OMAC, Project. OMAC Project, yeah. yeah. OMAC it, Project, yeah, that's it right. It very much felt like a sequel to that, um, which I really enjoyed. Uh, written, this is written by Greg Rucka and Eric Trotman and illustrated by Ryan Sook. So it also has a good, good Sook art. Um, this issue, uh, I, I don't want to go too deep into this, Zach. I don't know what you want to say, but I, I just wanted to say that... Um, I really I, I need to go back and read the Checkmate book. I never read that book in its entirety, but it had stuff like Sasha Bordeaux is featured here. It also has Snapper Carr as a member of uh, of Checkmate, and I, as listeners probably know, Snapper Carr was like the Justice League mascot back in the day. But he was also the arguably the lead or the secondary lead in that aforementioned Tom Payer Hourman book. That's excellent. Um, so I have a real affinity for Sniper Car, and I really enjoyed the Sniper Car stuff here. Uh, and it's the way around the story is really clever, which is that, you know, there are three billion people that have been infected with the anti-life equation, but there's also a large number of people who have a latent OMAC virus in their blood from that time. And so the way that they get out, the way that Checkmate gets out of their Antarctic base is by basically activating the OMAC virus in people to fight on their behalf. It's pretty smart. Uh, there's also a scene, as as Zach mentioned before, of uh, Snapper Car banging uh, Cheetah. Mm. So that's a thing. Uh, Zach, what do you want to say about this issue? Um, it looks really good. Um, that Ryan Sickart is really good. Um, yeah, I, I really... I've read this once before. Um... And I didn't, I didn't love it the first time I read it, just because it does feel like, a, it's the most connected of the one shots, like I mentioned to um, Final Crisis, but it also still feels a little ancillary, like it's not necessary. It's kind of just a fun side story, especially for people who have read Checkmate. Um, and again, like, like you, Brian, I've, I've not read checkmate and i feel like i would enjoy this a lot more if i had and like recognized and, and knew who some of these characters were a little bit more um i don't know exactly where this came out in relation to um checkmate but it definitely kind of feels like a part of that series or even like a like an epilogue maybe sort of yeah yeah which it looks like the last issue of checkmate came out in october of 2008 
I don't know when this issue came out. Um, I was going to try and look really quick, but it, it's definitely towards the end of that run. Um, and you, and you get that impression a little bit. So, um, yeah, I, I didn't love this. I thought the bit with Snapper Carnitita was really weird. Um, it felt a little um, self-inserty in the way that we talk about, like, Chris Claremont and Jean Grey and stuff. Um, you know, it, it just felt really weird to me. Yeah, this came out the week after the last issue of Count, uh, Checkmate, okay. uh, which is interesting. Um, but... It was a cool the the bringing back the Omax was really interesting and we do see that come to play or come to bear in uh, Final Crisis proper. Um, get a lot of good Mister Terrific action here. Um, I I generally like this issue. Yeah, same. That's all I'd say about it. Same here. So Vince, you can take it away. All right, let's talk about Final Crisis Submit. Um, this one has art from Matthew Clark on it. Um, and this one will be really quick, because I think, like, there is something pretty integral to the story, but it's a pretty breezy read compared to, like, pretty much anything else in this event. Um, so we have Black Lightning uh, responding to an SOS signal. Um, and it's coming from Tattooed Man's family. Uh, meanwhile, the Justifiers, which is what we're calling this group of uh, helmet-wearing uh, enforcers that have succumbed to the anti-life, and many of them who are actually heroes at this point, um, but with the, with the helmets on their heads, um, are kind of bearing down on everyone. Um, so Black Lightning shows up, it's actually Tattooed Man's wife, I believe, that put out the SOS, which inadvertently would uh, draw the attention of the Justifiers to Tattooed Man's family. So now they got to get out of there, and they're going to try to escape to Shade's protection. And along the way, Black Lightning ends up turned into a Justifier, but not before he passes the information about the... Uh, Metron circuit symbol to Tattooed Man. Uh, Jefferson has it uh, written or inscribed on his glove, and he passes it to Tattooed Man, who ends up like wearing it as a tattoo, basically. Um, and that's kind of that's all the important stuff that happens in this issue, I think. Unless I miss something. Yeah. I Would mean, you guys agree? Yeah, I think in addition to, uh, <coughs> excuse me, hang on, I think I said water here. Talk, Zach. <clears throat> um, this issue uh, is interesting. Okay. Uh, uh, sorry, I'm back. Um, well, what I was going to say was just that um, in addition to getting the equation eventually to the watchtower, the other thing this this issue does is it brings Tattooed Man as a character into this story. Like mm -hmm. he, he plays a relatively important role in the end game of this story, and that we had not seen him up until this point. Yes. Yeah. Anything else? Right. Yeah, I think I think he showed up in like one panel earlier in the series, but like yeah, like you said, this brings him into the series in a really 
big way and he does he plays a pretty important role in the next few issues um so yeah i can see why they i can see why they did it this definitely seems like something that morrison could have done in like three or four pages of an uh, like issue of um final crisis proper um this kind of maybe feels like a mandated thing like dc wanted two one shots and so morrison was like okay fine i'll do this with this one yeah um so it's it's funny though that i mean i guess because his because their name is on it but um uh it's part of the grant morrison like uh, recommended reading order mm-hmm. and uh, honestly like it's a good issue there's nothing wrong with it but if you took it out would you really would you really miss it like would you really miss out on that much because in the next issue like yeah you would miss miss out on the the passing of the information to tattooed man and then ray brings him in in the next issue but you could if you had to, you could tack that onto the end of the previous issue, like you said, Zach, in like a page, and then move. Like, certainly, there's stuff that happens in this series that's as consequential to moving the plot forward that happens in a couple pages in a regular issue of Final Crisis. You know, does that make sense? Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, it's. It, it it does stick. It's not bad at all. This isn't criticism, but it does stick out in this order of reading by being like kind of the least consequential issue in it. But whatever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it seems to me like this was maybe one of the few bits of like editorially driven decisions that Morrison made. Because if you recall, after this, Tattooed Man was a relatively important DC character for a few years. And so I wonder if if this was a case of, okay, we see they're using this character. We want big things for this character. So can we give can we give him a spotlight here? Um, and maybe that's why it exists. Although I Morrison seems loath to play those games. But it, it does somewhat read like this is a good introduction to this character for folks. Mm-hmm. He he will be a, a major part of Eric Wallace's really shitty Titans not long after this. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. Um, all right. Issue four. Issue four. All right. So at this point, uh, most of humanity has fallen under the anti-life that has been affecting them all through through technology. Um, as I said before, the ray brings Tattooed Man um, and the circuit that he got from Black Lightning to the Justice League headquarters. Uh, we get another scene where Dan Turpin is changing even further, even further being corrupted by Darkseid. Um, Alan Scott puts out another call to all the heroes to assemble in Bloodhaven where the command D stuff is going down. Um, we see the uh, new Furies that we that we saw at the end of issue three uh, make their march to Central City where the, the Flash family is taking them on. 
Um, we see the Justifiers are now they now make it their way. They now make their way into the Hall of Justice, um, where they're they're fought off a bit, but uh, Oliver Queen eventually ends up uh, turned into a Justifier with the helmet. Um, let's see. Uh, Iris succumbs to the anti-life, but then in a, again, in like a very similar scene to the one we saw in Superman Beyond, Barry gives Iris like a magical lightning kiss that saves her from the anti-life somehow. Um, this is way more emotionally satisfying. Oh, please. Yeah, blow that raspberry, Zach. What the what the hell is this? It makes it makes less sense. I don't even want to get into it. <laughs> you're you're nutty, Brian. You're nutty with it. <laughs> I'm just sitting over here smiling. That's all. Yeah, I know you are. Yeah, you're you're smiling simply. Um, <laughs> He's not mad. No, no, no. Um, uh, super Young Team and, and Mr. Miracle um, are, I think the Justifiers are breaking through their defenses at this point, and Mr. Miracle ends up being shot um, at Checkmate headquarters. And so things are kind of turning very bad for the Earth and for the heroes in general. That's kind of the purpose of this issue to just show the tide turning against them. Um, and it ultimately results in Dan Turpin fully giving in to dark side at the end of the issue and basically fully becoming dark side. Um, and the thing that inspires that is actually the news of Mr. Miracle being shot. Um, is kind of what ends up tipping that over. Anything else in that issue? That issue four very much transitional to me. I think. Yeah, I agree with that. It, it is transitional, but it has some of it has some really great moments in it, like uh, the the aforementioned uh, Barry Iris moment. Um, very memeable panel of um, to to die on the job is to die for Dark Side. Yes. Um, yes, I've seen that several times. Yeah, um, and I think the the fall of Turpin that happens over the course of this issue, as like you said, things uh, things things aren't too. I can't do a Trump voice. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty bad for the humans. Um, it just turns into Dan DiDio. Everything <laughs> I do ever turns into bad Dan DiDio. Um, but he, um, you know, he he's slowly degrading. They put the crown on him, which is the like the dark side face mask thing, like a reimagined uh, version of of dark side's helmet thing. Um, and and yeah, the the image where um, Mister Miracle gets shot um, is like such a the way that whole scene is framed is really good. And then kind of that yeah that that black panel, like a uh, completely blank panel where it just says uh, freedom spirit falls, a sign great one. 
Devastator, Lord of Woe, Eternal Dark Side, and then the next panel is him doing the thumbs down, which to me is like one of the most memorable and like iconic images from the whole series. So yeah. it is. And very those are much also those are also my favorite lines from Sufjan Stevens, uh, The Ascension. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, you, said you were gonna say it's also very much. I was just gonna say it's a it's a transition issue, but it's a it's still a very good issue. And it, it, I think each issue has like at least one or two really big defining moments um, in it so that nothing really feels, um, no issue really feels wasted or anything or like filler. Oh yeah. 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 I agree with that. Um, I really liked the stuff with the Ray here. I think that Morrison does a good job throughout all of his books, especially especially these these sort of big team books. He seems to always pluck a few characters out of relative obscurity and give you reason to root for those characters again. And I think the Ray has a really interesting skill set among superheroes, but we don't see him that often. So I really enjoyed the Ray stuff from this issue. Um, I also thought the Barry Iris reunion was very sweet, as I said before. Um, and I, I think that the way that they show Shiloh Norman shot dead, even though you know he's Mr. Miracle, it's framed in such a way where it really does make you think that maybe that character's been killed. Mm-hmm. It's an effective scene. Yeah. That's all I All right. Great. Uh, issue five? Sure. So uh, the opening of issue five, this segment is maybe it's it's one of my dark horse favorites in the whole thing. I don't think it's I don't think it's my favorite or even top three, but like it's an it's an underrated sequence that I think nobody talks about. And that's the Hal standing trial and Kyle and Guy helping him prove that he didn't commit murder and that Alpha Lantern Kraken is corrupted by granny goodness the way that whole thing plays out is it's top-notch green lantern writing from that era not being done by jeff johns and i think that that's 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 really worth something and i think like the the voices are all spot on and i think just the way it plays out is it's just it's just a really satisfying scene to see them turn the tables in the end and uh, and then make their way to to Earth to help out. Um, I, I love that beat. I think it just sings. I think that whole part just sings. Um, I think a lot of Kraken uh, slash Granny Goodness's dialogue during that scene is really good too. Um, talking about corrupting the power battery and you know, imagine imagine this sort of power in the hands of a of Dark Side or something like that and. Yeah, it's I love that scene. Um we see we we then see like pretty much immediately that Shiloh Norman was not killed. He was wearing a like a bulletproof vest or something. Um and begins telling Checkmate about the uh, Metron circuit symbol that apparently blocks anti-life. That was the thing that he was about to do before he was shot in the previous issue. Um we see uh, 
Calabac's for Calabac's got some forces out on the battlefield, and we see them met by a really cool double page spread with a a fun group of heroes. We've got Frankenstein, we've got some JSA members, some members of the Marvel family, and and a few others scattered there. I really love that page. They're all on like motorcycles. <laughs> it's a it's a cool page. Um. I don't have we talked about how Calabax bot like new body <laughs> is a is a tiger man is a tiger well we're about to I okay think. pretty well maybe not immediately but at one at one point that plays out in a very fun way um yes he is a tiger man right now it, it's pronounced tigerman <laughs> sure yes Calabax tigerman hmm. um we then see Nixuotan thrown in a cell with a mysterious hooded man and a man in a wheelchair who's working on a Rubik's cube. Um, the hooded man starts to try to help uh, Nix remember his past as a monitor, uh, Ouija Dell, um, and the man in the wheelchair solves the Rubik's cube in like a record amount of moves which reveals it as a mother box, which I love that it has to be in a record number of, of moves. Um, it's almost that's... even like an impossible number of moves yes. is the way I've always read it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because yeah, because what like 18 is 18 like is a, supposedly a, the minimum, like the mathematical minimum of a fully scrambled it. Rubik's yeah. cube. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> that's, that's so good. Like, again, like, who would think of that other than Morrison? Um, then we see, uh, I alluded to some very Nazi-like imagery involving uh, Libra earlier, and I, that's what plays out in this coming scene, where uh, Libra and Lex Luthor are presiding over some public executions. Um in again, in a very Nazi-like setting, they've got the flags and banners unfurled, and uh, you know they've got a, a hooting crowd. And um, the main thing to note throughout this is that Luthor is standing by, but looks very like bitter and regretful that this is happening the entire time. So um, that will play in later. Um, at this point, a dark side goes public, declaring that the fifth world has begun. Uh, we go back to Nixuotan, and I love the line here: uh, "Something new is born. The judge of all evil is here." And uh, we see Nix in the his more recent, like commonly the costume that he's more commonly associated with in the post Final Crisis. You know, whenever he shows up. Um, so he is essentially taking on his new mantle as the judge of all evil. Um, I have a question. Sure. Because I, I just realized I have always made an assumption about a character in this that is not explicitly in the text. And I, I'm interested to know if you all have thought that, too. And actually, I may be wrong. I've thought this my whole life or not my whole, but ever since I initially read this. So the, there are these two characters that you mentioned who are in the room with Nix, mm -hmm. the one who's working on the Rubik's Cube and then the hooded person who hands him the drawing. 
I've always read the person in the Rubik's cube uh, with the Rubik's cube in the wheelchair as Metron. That's that's what I yeah. I, yeah. I, who, I, I thought I the same thing. Yes. Who, who is the who do you think is the person giving him the drawing? That is um, fuck. What's his name? Um, he shows up in Multiversity again. Um, really. I think so. I don't remember that. If, okay. If it's, if it's not multiversity, it's somewhere else where we saw Nyx. But you know, there's only so many. Uh huh. There's only so many appearances. Oh man. Is it supposed to be like a new god character, or is it a is it a different character? Because I don't actually know if I've ever thought about who this person is. They have like monkey hands. I can't remember his name. Hang on. Wait, I think I know what you're talking about. I have no idea, so I'm just gonna be quiet over here. It's uh it's it's uh Mr. Stubbs. The monkey. Okay. Sure. <laughs> yeah. You know who I'm talking about. Who shows I, up in, who shows up in the multiversity. that in multiversity, I do vaguely remember that character showing up in the very beginning, right? Like in the I'm I'm pulling open multiversity now to, to check. Um, but yeah, that you're probably, that, that seems right. Um, I was just, I was second guessing myself on the Metron thing because we only ever through Final Crisis see villains inhabiting human bodies. Although we do see like new Genesis, new gods inhabiting human bodies in, um, in Mr. Miracle. Mm-hmm. And I actually think we maybe see Metron as the guy in the wheelchair in Mr. Miracle now that I'm thinking about it. Yes, you're right. I think you're right. I think he's like in an alley or something. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, here's Mr. Stubbs. He's wearing a pirate outfit. <laughs> that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. The tracks. Yeah. Nutty. Okay. Yeah, like I don't. We never see like Light Ray or anybody like that. I don't think. No, we but... don't. Although Morrison does do some sketches of Light Ray in the sketchbook. I uh, wonder. I wonder how much more New Gods heavy this would have been if there wasn't a death of the New Gods right before it. Like if if the story changed because of that. Yeah, I don't know. I wonder if. I wonder if Fifth World ever came to fruition, if there would have been more of that stuff somehow. You know what? We talk about that a lot. And on this reading, I do. Th- I think that the Fifth World happened. Agreed. DC just chose to ignore it. Well, it did. yes, it did happen. But yeah, that's what I mean. I, that's what I yeah. mean. I mean, like, okay. like, we never saw any books... Or story threads that continued. Sure, they they actually that. kept, I think, specifically referring to everything as the fourth world. Yeah, right. Yeah, fifth uh, world definitely happens. You see it in in you see it established in issue seven, I believe, in the kind of closing montage. Um, but yeah, it they don't really do anything with it after Final Crisis, and then it's New Fifty Two time not too long after that. So 
Um, yeah. Okay. Um, so that was issue five. Now we're on to the Batman issues. Um, and we can kind of talk about these together, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's not that much to say here. Yeah, it's Batman 682 and 683. Um, art from Lee Garbett on these. Uh, and there's not much to say, and they honestly don't have too much to do with Final Crisis, but these issues whip. So, <laughs> like, I would read them if I were you. <laughs> Um, basically what it amounts to is Bruce is in the commandee, um, getting worked on by, uh, um, Simeon and, uh, yeah. yeah, And, uh, Mokari. And basically they have him trapped in the lump, which is an old character from Kirby's Mr. Miracle. Another obscure Kirby character coming back. Um, and they're trying to use information from Bruce's psyche through the lump to create an army of Batman to use uh, basically in the in the anti-life dark side ar- army forces. Um, and what it involves is using an imposter Alfred to go back through Bruce's career and examining basically every major Batman story beat from beginning to end, um, including a lot of stuff specifically referencing Morrison's Batman stuff with the original um, Kathy Kane, Batwoman, and uh, some Dr. Hurt stuff. Um, You get to see, like, him taking on each of the different Robins, um, basically it's, it's, it's one of those issues that we've seen, we've seen it done a lot over the years where like a creator will try to distill Batman's entire metafiction into one issue and it'll be in jokey about like, Oh look, this is when he was Adam West basically, you know, <laughs> and this issue kind of, these issues kind of do that same thing, just doing a tour of, of Bruce's history, but with some interesting little twists because along the way, like Bruce's mind again, like being the detective that he, the relentless detective that he is and prepared for everything, like his subconscious mind figures out that this Alfred is a false Alfred because this Alfred somehow knows something that about Alfred a, shouldn't know, right? That Alfred shouldn't know yeah. about a story that only Dick and Bruce know that they intentionally kept from Alfred. <laughs> and so that is ultimately what undoes their plot and shakes Bruce out of the lump. Um, I love these issues. I think they look fantastic. Uh, I love like a, a meta textual tour of Batman. I, I love whenever you get to go over the, the different eras of Batman and try to reconcile them all in one place. <laughs> And I think Morrison's just the, the person to do that. Structurally, this is very, very similar to that um, Martian Manhunter Requiem issue from earlier. Mm. Uh, just in terms of how it's it's laid out, where it, it's sort of acting as a 
as like you said, Vince, like a, a almost a complete history of a character. You know, to try and take you through as as much of the character's history as as you can get through in one twenty page comic. Um, and I think that more or less this these issues work. I like a lot of this. I could see why, for people who were buying all the Final Crisis tie-ins, I could see why this would piss you off because it really isn't a Final Crisis tie-in. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and similarly, I could see if you were reading the main Batman book, how this also isn't really an issue of Batman. <laughs> it's just it's kind of a middle ground between being an event tie-in and being a standalone issue, and it doesn't really serve either master. I think it's very good, but I could see why you may not think it's essential on either end. Mm-hmm. Even though. The flashback stuff, not not so much. That's all just you know, uh, uh, I I wouldn't quite say like Morrison fart fart sniffing again, but it, it, it's 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 a little bit of that. Um, but I really like the ending of the second issue, which like sets up um, Bruce's return into the main series. Um, but also the events of this issue set up an arc for Batman and Robin later on, which is kind of wild to think about um, <laughs> because this stuff, this stuff, um, the Batman stuff to me and how this all plays into Batman RIP and Batman and Robin was some of the most confusing stuff to me when I was getting into comics and mm-hmm. when I was getting, reading these runs, um, the mo- the the final crisis stuff was was dense and heady but i i mostly sorted through it the the batman stuff is i think the thing that really broke people's brains um self included a little bit because the chronology of where this lines up with rip i think confused a lot of people even though i think it is kind of explained really in like the last couple of pages of the second issue, you know, that RIP happens and then he goes straight into Final Crisis. Um, but I, 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 I think I found it kind of confusing. You know, is it does does Batman seemingly die twice? You know, how does how does everything fit together? If we ever do our Batman read, I think we can talk about that all a lot more. Um, but the the crossover and interplay between RIP and Final Crisis, I think, was way more. Uh, muddied than anything else. Yeah. Yeah, I also... I'll say that it's interesting how much... um, how much Batman plays into the endgame of Final Crisis. Like, he's so important, and we basically haven't seen him this entire series. (laughs) Um He's he's there a little bit sort of on the periphery, but it's it's just it's interesting how how little he's actually in this book, and then how much the little bit he is in this book affects the na- next like three years of Batman stories. Yeah, and I I feel like the Batman thing is maybe the thing that I would I think Batman showing up the way he does in Final Crisis number six for people who have maybe not read this issue, these issues would have been like the most confusing and like frustrating thing. Um, 
because he literally we'll get to it but he literally just walks onto the page does his thing and is out yeah it's like the span of like two or three pages i think um but in the context of everything that morrison was doing it works um and a lot of that was cleared up later on i think with the there were those um Morrison did those extra issues of Batman 701 and 702 that were uh, kind of a RIP Final Crisis flashback mm-hmm. and cleared it all up after the fact. So again, like it's kind of the same thing with us revisiting Final Crisis over a decade after the fact. We have all of these additional resources and can read it all together, and it, it makes a lot more sense now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, shall we? Issue six? Sure. Okay, so at the beginning of issue six, uh, Brainiac 5 shows Superman the miracle machine. And I love this bit. This is um, <laughs> this is really good. Like, he's he's fading away, and Brainiac's like, take a look at it really quick. <laughs> you know? and, and Superman's trying to memorize every nut and bolt he later tells uh, somebody. Um, you, you want to know something really funny about this sequence? Absolutely. So, Final Crisis Legion of Three Worlds was coming out concurrently with this. And it was notoriously delayed. If I remember, the last issue of that came out maybe like mid-2009. So, like, literally months after Final Crisis had ended and we were already gearing up for Blackest Night. Um, and people were one thinking you know that 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 final crisis legion of three worlds that final issue would kind of tie into this moment and show you know because he's you know in the future with the legion and it it would tie back to this and it would kind of close that loop um but the ending of legion of three worlds like directly contradicts and does not work (laughs) with this sequence um true to all like final crisis tie-in materials almost you know just none of it fits together the way it's supposed to um and so i I, like specifically remember like reading on message boards and stuff when that that came out like people were like okay well okay so the this must be a completely different legion adventure that we don't know about that's completely separate from legion of three worlds so there were two legion adventures that superman had and we'll just never see the we'll just never see the one he had another adventure after superman beyond and we'll just never know it oh man was the dc reddit around back then no it wasn't dc reddit i have no idea what dark like corners of the internet i was poking around to see people talk about it it's probably the game fax message boards i was probably Mm, still tooling around on there Mm-hmm. Ah, sicko, sicko stuff. Absolutely sicko stuff, but it's great. If we ever do read Legion of Three Worlds, you'll see it could have it could have tied in and made sense, but John's just had to do something completely different. He goes off and like has everybody have a party at the end, like he game master Anthony's day. it. Yeah, he game <laughs> he game master Anthony's it. Um, so. <laughs> So yeah. All right. Um, so yeah. So anyway, Superman sees the miracle machine and then fades fades away. 
Um, tat- meanwhile, Tattooed Man becomes an honorary JLA member. Dinah makes him a, a member of the JLA. Um, Supergirl and uh, Mary Marvel clash. Um, Tiger Calabac, Tigerman, and Talkie Tawny fight. <laughs> and Talkie Tawny ends up disemboweling Calabac. <laughs> Love it. Which is like the way that that's that plays out like artistically is so funny because you've got like talkie in this in his like, you know, tweed suit or whatever, trying to like trying to not participate in this fight, really trying to just like dodge around. And then all of a sudden he just snaps and like guts, guts Calabac. <laughs> it rules in like the goriest thing that happens in this that's probably the goriest moment probably, of this yes. series. Yeah. Yes. He's like uh-huh. he's like adjusting his tie as like blood is dripping down his mouth. Like... Yeah. He's making like several Hanna-Barbera noises. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I got guts on my hands. Fight to the death even. <laughs> it, it's funny how much the Shazam family like plays a role in this. Um and it's like pretty like grim for that. them. I feel like we say that every uh, event series, really. We do. We really do. They, yeah. They show up all the time. They do like six things, and then no one talks about them again until the next event series. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're really all very messed up after this, though. And then Jeff Johns does like a weird story with them in JSA, and they go away forever. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Um. Freddie uses the uh, re- reverse Shazam to uh, bring Mary back to her original form. That is Freddie, right? Because it's that Captain Marvel yes. Jr. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, that that is so. At this point, oh, because at this point he is Captain Marvel. That's right. Yes. No, at this point he is Shazam. Shazam. Billy, I'm so confused about that. Billy is just known as Marvel, <laughs> but Billy has taken the role of the Wizard Shazam. So Billy is in the yes. Rock of Eternity, but is now just Marvel. And That's right. He's Marvel Comics. He's, he is Marvel Comics. He is Irk Perlman's Irk and, uh, <laughs> uh Yeah. It's... Yeah. Indeed. Did, did we ever talk about how Mary was possessed by Desaad? Uh No. No? Yeah. So I think that was revealed in this issue. Oh, okay, yeah. So, so just that's where Desaad was hiding out. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, I did not make a note of that. Um, I I like uh, Luther's bit here, where you know, after seeing all the horrors that Libra has uh, wrought upon the world, he says he's talking to Doctor Savannah, and he says, "This is a war against life, Savannah. I'm somewhat fond of life for all its ups and downs." And then he ends up. He's in the power suit and he ends up blasting Libra, and that's pretty much the end of Libra, I think. Right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just kind of like an unceremonious. I, I like that. That's a good Luther bit. Um they start using the heroes start using the circuit symbol to um resist the anti-life helmets, and it's working. Um the flashes come up with a plan to use the black racer against dark side. Uh, meanwhile, Batman steps out 
with a gun, and we all know how much Batman hates guns, um, but he's got a Radeon bullet, um, like the one that killed Orion. And in it, like, it is the, it is the one that killed. The it line, is the it, it is the one because yeah. he has it tucked away. Yeah, he he took it from the crime scene, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So anyway, he he fires it at Darkseid, and Darkseid fires the Omega Sanction at the same time. Uh, he hit the bullet hits Darkseid, and Batman gets uh, whisked away by the Omega Sanction. Um. But meanwhile, we see that Metron is warning uh nick suotan about the threat that exists beyond dark side presumably talking about mandrak and uh superman flies in and furiously enters command d uh launching an attack and coming out with batman's skeletal body in his arms um and that's the part that blew young zach wilkerson's mind mm-hmm Batman was dead forever. He's never coming back. Now Morrison had said, at the, uh, I guess subsequently, that he had planned to keep him dead for five years, mm-hmm. but DC had balked at that almost instantly. So I think it's like just over a year, isn't it, that he's gone? I think so. Yeah, like the the first the the solicitation for the return of Bruce Wayne or whatever. Was less than it was announced less than a year after mm-hmm. his death, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love that scene with 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 Bruce firing the the Radeon bullet. That's uh, if you man, if you tell me that you would make a, a scene where a Batman is using a gun and it wouldn't be like the worst thing in the world <laughs> it's i would never have believed you but yeah i do i do specifically remember people being upset about this because batman used a gun but it makes sense yeah it does like i read it and i'm like this is not sac- sacrilegious somehow yeah <laughs> i don't really know quite how to explain it but they actually, in the next issue, spoilers for the next issue, they they do like a really half-assed, I forget who it is, but some character is like, you know, it's really kind of like Darkseid killed himself because <laughs> he was the one who made the Radeon bullet or whatever, right. um, which is like, I feel like that's a half-assed way of like absolving Bruce from using a gun. Yes. but but the point is is that like especially because the bullet is not the thing that actually ends dark side in the end yeah they keep saying he's been mortally wounded right and so i feel like this is this this is like uh bruce getting away on a technicality again (laughs) Because of course, um, in your twisted world, Batman has never killed anybody. Well, he has Dark Side. Show me one time, right here. It's never, never happened. No, and he didn't. Dark Side would have succumbed to his injuries. <laughs> is that a is that a reference to something? That's a... no. It's a, he is mortally wounded. That means that the wound is is deadly. 
that given enough time, he would have succumbed to his injuries. All right. I know what it means, but. I, Superman kills Darkseid. Superman's a murderer. No, I don't. Okay. Anyway. Uh, anything else on issue six? Man, this has got to be like our longest episode. It's one of our longest life. episodes. We're, we're getting really deep here. Um, no, I, I do want to say that, you know, that this is, we mentioned before, this is when Doug Monkey joins the, the main book and he's, uh, he is like he is the most unique artist that comes in as a as a fill in for JG Jones, but I think that his style does fit this issue quite well. Mm-hmm. Even though it doesn't feel like JG Jones's stuff. No, it's it is very epic in scope, though, and I I think it does a great job. Zach, anything else? Mm, no, I don't think so. I agree with everything you guys said. I I think, you know, J.G. Jones had clearly been um, struggling to keep up with the schedule of this or whatever was going on, you know, with adding on more and more um, fill-in artists. But the, the, the two or three pages, I guess the, I guess it's four pages technically of, of Bruce showing up going up against dark side and getting shot are like some of his best work in the whole book. Like that scene with dark side in his chair, but then there's that, like the spirit of dark side behind him is just so trippy. Um, the, the scene of Bruce getting hit by the Omega sanction is extremely iconic to me. And mm. then, yeah, that the, the pages where monkey comes in and uh, it's just uh, wild. Um, very, very good stuff. Uh, should we move on to issue seven? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so uh, this is probably the, I mean, it is the densest issue, I think, of any of them. And I feel like I'm going to do it a disservice as I as I summarize it. So please jump in if I forget things or didn't just didn't mention something in the interest of trying to be concise. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say one thing up front with this issue go for it because i noticed it when i reread it this time this issue does almost all of the things that i dunk on tom king for doing that i hate (laughs) but i like it how so i i don't know if i agree with that but okay well it's it's told out of sequence yeah um there is a sequence of panels, maybe like it's two thirds of the way in. I'm trying to find it. Um, it's when they're in the space station. <sighs> I'm trying to find it. Maybe it's not that far. In. Maybe it's like in the middle, but there's like four panels in a row that are like stri- ripped straight from Heroes in Crisis, where it's just like rectangular boxes of uh, characters talking to the camera um and i got such heroes in crisis vibes from it but i mean obviously this came years before but it's just like oh these are things that tom king does and but i always hate it um (laughs) like we talked about you know um batman catwoman being unnecessarily um you know told told non uh chronologically yeah 
but it all it all works here for me. It's all good, and I I like it. And if that gets me canceled, if I'm problematic <laughs> for being a hypocrite, so be it. Yeah, no, you're canceled. There is that whole scene where the supermen of different worlds are talking about whether they met on a boat or met uh, on a rooftop. So yeah, it's that, the same. That, that's very Tom Kingy. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think there's validity to what you say, Zach, but I think I think one thing is that, you know, and I don't want this to turn into a Tom King bash fest. I really don't. But I think, like, it's it's one thing to, like, see something like that in isolation and say, like, oh, this is the thing Tom King does. When, like, Tom King has, has based an entire career out of doing those things as ticks. When these are not Morrisonian signatures necessarily mm-hmm. you know and so like there's a big discussion that this is going to date the show but there's, there's a big discussion online about whether like the nine panel grid of just somebody's face like uh, talking and emoting is like worthwhile comic booking and the point is that like you can do that stuff and it's perfectly valid but like when you when you build a career out of like that being a gimmick you use a lot or that being some uh, something you rely on a lot i'm thinking of like the bendis avengers uh interview pages where it's just talking head after talking head i mean that's david just Byrne, so... chris franz i get it <laughs> oh don't forget don't forget tina i would never forget tina Wemmoth or jerry harrison thank you uh yeah um Controversial non-men, non-member Brian Eno. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well played. Yeah, uh, but you know what I mean. So, like, like when I'm reading this issue, none of that occurs to me because it's not a thing. It's not a thing that Morrison relies on a lot. It's not there, a signature of his work. Yeah, there's almost no like comic technique that is inherently good or bad. It's all about how it's used in individual issues and if it, and how it's, and if it's effective when it's done. And I feel like the reason that people dunk on the nine panel grid sometimes is because a lot of times the nine panel grid becomes shorthand for the intellectuals comic and, and isn't really a good use of the, the space in a book. Mm-hmm. And so this is not all like you said. All this stuff works, and it, you know, just like there are no, you know, people say there are no bad words. There's only bad usage of words. You know, kind of similar. Mm-hmm. Brian, know. the wise man, bows his head and says, "Comics aren't good or bad. You imbecile, you fucking moron." <laughs> <laughs> I think. I think Zach references drill more than I do at this point. I, I, I think I think you're right. <laughs> He's taking the mantle. Um, but no, that's a, that's a good. I'm glad you brought that up, Zach. That that's an experience that you had with this. Um, one that would wouldn't occur to me. Um, yeah, I think I think that's funny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay, we'll leave it at that. Um, uh, okay, so. Um, again, if I'm, if I miss something or you really want to talk about something, just please jump in. Um, so at the beginning we see Captain Marvel and Renee Montoya recruiting more supermen to the ultimate duel. Um, 
we see a wounded dark side taunting Superman who recognizes who recognizes him as formerly Dan Turpin, which I think this is it's probably not a memorable moment to most people, but I think this is like such a humane Superman moment, you know. Um Turpin's like pretty much not recognizable anymore. He's he's totally gone over to Dark Side at this point. Physical form and everything. And Superman still recognizes Turpin in him. Um it's a small moment, but I, I really like that. Um we see so the so the Omega Sanction has been fired. It took Bruce. Uh, we see that it's been fired at the flashes. The flashes outrun it, and they end up leading the Black Racer to Darkseid, who, uh, because he's mortally wounded, the Black Racer shows up to take his soul. Uh, another really lovely moment, uh, the Ray has written that circuit equation symbol on I, what I presume is the Earth's ozone layer, <laughs> which I think is, like, an awesome... Brian, you said that, like, the Ray's power is not something that, like, usually ends up useful in a battle or anything like that. But I think this is a really, like, really beautiful use of that power. Absolutely. Um, this this is probably the most prominent use of the Ray until Steve Orlando's Justice League of America many years later. Ah, mm. lest, lest, lest you forget the uh, Palmiati and Gray... That was, that was a different that was a different ray that was oh, not the same one. You're right. You're that right. was it's a Korean American uh ray who uh whose name I can't, I can't pull at the moment, but yes. Uh-huh. That series wasn't half bad actually, but it wasn't it wasn't the same ray. You're right. You're right. Um Okay, um I guess Wonder Woman is freed from control by the by Frankenstein using the Mordecacus virus. But again, like, uh, right? <laughs> like, that's what we—that's what you were referencing earlier, right, Zach? Yeah, yeah. So I'm not sure how that. I mean, I guess it's just a function of the virus that that uh, Morrison essentially retconned in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I do love there's a there's a line. Because part of this story is told by Wonder Woman to people after the story takes place. And there's a line that's been like, you know, we have to run off soon, children. But first, let me tell you about the time I met Frankenstein. And it's just it's just an amazingly like weird uh, sentence to have anyone say. It's great. Yes. Yes. Oh, that was something I was going to say in response to, to Zach's point about the nonlinear chronology of this. It it does play a little bit. This is me like this is me making an excuse for Morrison, I think. But it does play a little bit into the nature of storytelling that Morrison is kind of waxing on about a little bit. Because part of this is is almost the, the back half of this is almost being told as if it were legend, you know? Um mm-hmm. so you know, in that regard, I I can kind of see why the why the nonlinear chronology of it works, I guess. Um, 
Anyway, uh, Wonder Woman uses uh, the lasso of truth to on Dark Side, which ends up freeing everybody else. Um, and Superman. Okay, <laughs> this part gets really nutty. the The whole thing with Superman working on the Miracle Machine. Wonder Woman and Supergirl <laughs> preserve the people of Earth in ice cubes, basically. <laughs> And stick them in a big freezer in case whatever they're planning doesn't work. And this, that is like golden age to me. That's like something golden age Wonder Woman would have done <laughs> to like solve a problem. 100%. Yeah. Um, and and the, the other part that's confusing about this is that like Darkseid has now apparently been killed like three times. But comes back like one last time as Superman is putting the finishing touches on the miracle machine (laughs) and Superman recognizes the vibrational frequency inherent to dark sides being, uh, being of a similar quality of the multiverse itself. And he sings a single note that destroys dark sides, uh, vibrational frequency basically. And says, Darkseid always hated music. <laughs> Another one of just the best lines of the whole thing. Yes. Um, yes. Just so good. <laughs> yes. But it's, and... but it's also like, I've always read it because it's it's like ellipses, Darkseid ellipses, and then separate word balloon always hated music and i always read it as like clark doing a really bad dad joke like he thinks he's just cracking himself up he's like dark side always hated music (laughs) yeah um I, i guess i haven't read enough dark side stories to know but is there any like canon precedent for dark side not liking music he he one time does I think it's in New Gods number four where he rants about how the Beatles are overrated. So Oh that's man. It. That's I'm kidding, that, of course. Oh, okay. Well <laughs> fuck you then. Uh, <laughs> um, I I want that to be like one line from a comic from the seventies that Morrison just pulled to... It's canon that Dark Side hates music. Yeah. 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 Um, so then Superman powers the miracle machine using element X, which comes from Metron. Um, which I think and... is that the same thing as the Whirligog? Oh, I don't know. It kind of looks Ooh. like it. Ooh. Oh, you really, you, oh man, you got my, I can't. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sit here and Google it like while so, we're on the show. Yeah. But but that's 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 interesting, Zach. I we 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 should we should look into that. Okay. Um. Anyway, so like at this point, Mandrak comes back, um, to get his revenge on Superman or whatever you know to invade, to invade uh, this universe. And at this point, you get like wave after wave of hero group coming in so you get the soup this is like this is everybody coming in with everything for a big party this is game master um, anthony once again this is game master 
Morrison, yes. Um, the Superman army arrives, which includes all the multiversal Superman, including like uh, Sunshine Superman and President Superman and everybody. Um, and you also get Nick Suotan arriving, resurrecting the zoo crew. And I, <laughs> that part, like, that part essentially comes out of nowhere. It does. And it's basically and it's the best. It's the best because it's basically like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, the act of resurrecting the zoo crew and making them into these like super powered animal, uh, forms isn't what matters. What matters is Nick Suotan in that moment, essentially saying like, I am, I am all powerful. I am capable of doing anything. <laughs> and like, and one example of this is I'm resurrecting the zoo crew. <laughs> Even the zoo crew. Yeah. Even the zoo crew. And, uh, and then, uh, ultimately, uh, the Green Lantern Corps show up as well. Like they were headed to Earth after the Hal's trial. They come and they form a giant stake out of a Green Lantern construct and they stab it through uh, the vampire monitor's heart. And uh, Nick Suotan says the best line in the entire series, which is, No one fucks with the judge of all evil. <laughs> Except they censor it. Well, they, yeah, I mean, it, well, no, I mean, they said, yes, they censored it, obviously, but then from the absolute edition on, uh, Monkey came back and did extra pages and redid essentially this whole section to make it, um, I guess, just kind of give it more room to breathe. Um, so he kind of like breaks down that, I think, like one page into like four pages, but they changed the line of dialogue to don't push your luck with the judge of all evil. Oh, I like to I, think that Don't Fuck With The Judge Of All Evil is a reference to Mark Hamill saying Don't Fuck With The Jedi Knight in Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. <laughs> it absolutely is. Yes. That's a shame, Zach, because I, I would want to see I would want to see this section expanded into additional pages because I, uh -huh. I do think I do think it all happens very quickly. Like I believe all that stuff with the Superman army and the zoo crew happens on one page. I believe you're right. And I feel yeah. like that could have been spread out a little more. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame that they changed the line. I, I read this on DC universe, which maintains the original, the original line. Probably, yeah. Because it's probably the actual, the actual original issue. The I, original I would digital imagine. issue, yeah. Yeah, and so, um, but yeah, I think that the absolute and then the all like subsequent reprintings have used those new pages. Oh man, so it's like it's like giveth and taketh there. Yeah, I, I want to go back to something you just said, Vince, which I think is is a very apt criticism of the book in general which is that important things do tend to happen very quickly in this book. Uh -huh. uh, but specifically in this issue, oh, I this feel issue like is, it's yeah. just, it's, it's nonstop big things without much time to catch your breath in the middle of it. Yes. Especially at the end here. For sure. Um, the, they go on to talk about, 
so at this point you see like the fallout with with Knicks, um who talks about the super young team and how they're meant to be the forever people of the fifth world um Nix uses the miracle machine to essentially restore the new gods, make Earth 51 the commandy Earth uh, as we know it to this day, uh, and basically end the work of the multiple monitors, including his role as a monitor. Um, and we see him at the very end return to a life on Earth, or at least that's what it appears to be. Um, he also spends one last moment with Ouija Dell. So he tells Ouija Dell that Superman wished for a happy ending with the miracle machine, which essentially produces an earth as it was for the most part. Um, and I, I love that bit because it, it Superman throughout final crisis just plays with, the idea of storytelling, comic book storytelling, um, with the to be continued tombstone, and you know, of course, he would wish for a happy ending. That's it's just the classic like storytelling trope. I feel like Superman is the vessel for that stuff in Final Crisis for Morrison, um, and uh, that's pretty much it for the main story. And then we see the epilogue where Bruce is in Anthro's time. And Anthro is, like, aged and on his deathbed. And Bruce lays his uh, bat utility belt on Anthro's body and begins carving a bat signal into the wall of the cave. And that's it. That's all she wrote. That's all she wrote. Anything anything I missed there at the end that you guys want to talk about? No, you know, I think you did a good job of summarizing it. I think that I I think part of the the reason that people maybe had a hard time with this series is that this is about the least traditional ending you can imagine for a DC event. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And yet we talk we talk all the time about how like I think there's very few events that have a satisfying ending, right? I think that's the thing everyone always complains about. I don't know. No, I agree. I can't remember the last time I read an event that had like a good satisfying ending. Um, and and I'm incredibly compromised and biased towards this, but I think that this is just the best i i think other than like i secret wars had a great ending as well and which secret this wars is the, the the hickman one the hickman okay. one of course uh, obviously and these are the last uh stories of the dc and marvel universes respectively so they <laughs> they both went out on high notes okay yeah i i agree um yeah no i i like this issue a lot it's i like it because it's different it i think by ending in a non-traditional way it actually in, has a satisfying ending um so yeah and i think the emotional payoff with 
with Nyx is insanely good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like I think with with very little work done at all, like like Morrison doesn't shove him to the foreground too much to get you to care about him mm-hmm. and to care about where his story ends up. Um, and so so by the end, like you're surprised by how invested you are in this character that that you don't know how important he is to the DCU yet. You know, at the time he was a new, he was a new character, completely new concept. And yeah. And eventually not that important to the DCU. <laughs> no, I was just no, going to say, you know, yeah. He's, uh... um, yeah, I think he, no, he's shown yeah. up in multiversity and I think he showed up in something else. Wasn't it Death Metal? Though. Didn't he show up in Death Metal? He might have been in Death Metal. Yeah, he was. Remember, he was like, he was like in a cage, in yes. that Hell Arisen miniseries. Yes, you're right. And nothing that, ever nothing, came. Nothing ever happened. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I feel yeah. like. Yeah, and I didn't mean to apply, imply that he really is all that important. I just mean, like... At the time, though. At the time, you have right. no sense of whether he is or not. And in and, and in a in a Final Crisis series that features all of the major heroes and everybody is pretty much on the table, like, you still end up invested in him a great deal as well. It, it's actually pretty criminal. It's pretty criminal that we got a Telos miniseries. <laughs> But we didn't get a Nyx Wotan miniseries. I mean, yeah. I, th- I think the only explanation for that is that Grant Morrison is no Jeff King. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's true. That's the only reasonable explanation. Okay, here's here's two other appearances of Nyx Wotan. Convergence, issue <laughs> okay. six. Sure. Okay. Uh, I already said the Hell Arisen issue three. And the unexpected issue four. Wow, makes Steve sense. Orlando. Yep. I Steve Orlando and, would too. You know. You like, know he would. I need to go back and read that series. It was pretty oh. good, right? That was the one that was. Uh, the Ryan Sook joint. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. That's not the one I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of. What was the one with Superman's cape? Oh, you're thinking of... You're thinking uh, of... Um... It was at Legion. No, not Legion. It wasn't Legion, but it was like in the... It, it was the, in the future. There were people who were... Uh, Electric Warriors. Electric, Warriors. Electric the, Warriors, thanks. Yes. Oh, that ruled. That was the Travel Foreman one. Yeah. Yes. You're th- the Unexpected is the Steve Orlando, Ryan Sook... Um, New Age of Heroes book. That's right. Yep. Yeah, Orlando is really getting wild with it in like 2017, 2018. Yeah. 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 It's got it's good come back around. I hope. Yeah. yeah. Remember the um, New Age of Heroes guys? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man, I I I was at work the other day and I was just sitting there letting my mind wander, and. uh 
I randomly thought of the silencer, <laughs> and I made myself laugh. And I did the I did the Letterman. I was going to say, you enjoy the silencer, say, Paul. Uh, Paul, honor, on, honor guest, honor, honor, <laughs> ah, yeah, honor guest. <laughs> oh boy! And uh, the CBS Orchestra plays four bars of "Be Our Guest." <laughs> um, I looked it up while we were jaw jacking, and the Whirligog and Element X apparently have no relation to one another, but you're right. The thing at the center of the Whirligog looks exactly like the drawing of the Element X in Superman's hands. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting, and I'm not saying there's not... I'm not saying Morrison or uh, Monkey didn't intend for there to be a connection, but... There's there's no official connection as far as I can tell in DC's I, eyes. I had actually forgotten that Element X showed up in this, and I don't think I knew at all that Element X was like a Kirby Fourth World creation. Yeah, so much of this is Kirby stuff. Um, I actually I guess I just thought that like Element X was made up by Snyder for Death Metal, mm-hmm. but um. Maybe he kind of retconned it into being like tenth metal. I don't know if it was ever called that before. Yeah. Um, well, you know, Snyder did invent it. It's just that he put it in a bullet and sent it back in time. Uh huh. Yes. And that's how we ended up with it. He did. What if got possessed by Dark Side? <laughs> uh, I'm shutting my mouth right now. He would say. I'm going to edit this shit now No you don't No you don't have to (laughs) So before I had said that in In my read of Final Crisis this time I felt differently about it than the past. And I I feel like you fuckers need to stop laughing so we can finish the show. It's nearly one in the morning. We've been podcasting for four hours. Fuck me. I'm going to condense this down to me, it compla- is really late. To, to me complaining about Superman Beyond you guys getting butt hurt. That's all it's going to be. It's the, that's the whole show. It's fine. Okay. It's fine. All right. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. You do all the editing, so it's in your hands. It is. I, I, don't, I don't even know what happens to this show after we record it. Um, so anyway, what I was saying was that I, I have the difference for me in reading this series this time was I felt like and maybe this is this is due to sort of when I had read it initially I always felt like this was very out of time with the rest of the stuff that DC was doing that it didn't I didn't feel it fit in with like the other books of its era but maybe because we're reading this like in we're reading these events in chronological order. This feels more a piece of the DC universe 
and not just like I, I think it's it, you you can't really argue that it's not a like a quintessential DC event of just all the characters and all of the you know all of the tone that is just so evocative of classic DC stuff but I just feel like this time it feels more it feels more connected to the rest of DC at the time that was my big takeaway from this read I I could see that yeah um especially yeah reading everything that we've read reading up to this it still feels like vastly different like like crisis on infinite earth and infinite crisis feel like parts of a of a continuous story whereas this one doesn't really feel like those other two at all but it does feel in line with kind of like where dc was uh, like what uh, other DC thought, books were doing, I think. Yeah, I, I just thought of a comparison that's going to that makes so much sense. I'm kind of mad I never thought of it before. Which is that Jeff Johns is J.J. Abrams, and that Grant Morrison is Ryan Johnson. And so Flashpoint is the rise of Skywalker. Yes. Oh my God! Yes, one hundred percent. Infinite Crisis is the redo of Crisis on Infinite Earths, like beat for beat, the way The Force Awakens is. And then Grant Morrison comes in and fucks shit up and does really interesting stuff. And then Johns is brought back to basically tie everything to tie the crisis to. New 52 up in a neat package and does so in a very unsatisfying way. Oh my god. It took four hours, but we got there, guys. So brightest day is Rogue One. I'm, I don't know what I'm saying. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just fucking with you. No, that's really good. I think I think we should end it there. Blackest night is Star Trek into darkness. <laughs> well, folks, thank you, thank you for listening to this this episode that may wind up being as much as four hours or as short as thirty five minutes. We, how much I we should have out. done this in two episodes. We but... should have, and and the joke's on me. This comes out in. Uh, I have to have this edited. In like 24 hours. Oh, maybe you'll stay up till 4 a.m. this time. I mean, mean, nobody's nobody's holding us hostage or anything. Who stayed up till 4 a.m.? Me. Oh, because you didn't read the books when you're supposed to. Got it. Cool. All right. Oh, because totally I was en- I was enjoying a, a Christmas holiday with my family. Bruce yes. Wayne has a god-killing gun to Brian's head, saying, "Publish this." On Wednesday morning. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, thank you guys for listening. We we appreciate it. As we said, this is the last of our crisis management series. We are going to be back next week with two episodes. We're going to have the, the wrap-up of Death Metal, as well as the first episode of Future State. Um, it's going to be really fun to dig into these new comics for a while. And I think this is a great place to pause our our series. So we shall return to this after Future State. Do not worry. Uh, until then, if you have to get in touch with any of us on, uh, yeah, if you get two thirds of us, we're on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs an App. 
I'm at Walker Fox. If you need to find Vince, he is uh, basically trying to find a way to make the miracle machine to go back in time so that his wedding vows can be all the stuff Superman says in Superman Beyond number two. And he can feel everything in himself. Oh, that would, yeah, that would whip. I'm going to actually do that. My but, wife and I are going to get remarried and I'm going to. I'm going to use that. Word to the wise here. If, if you're going to try that, don't tell her that's where those words come from. <laughs> or else that marriage isn't going to happen. <laughs> so, just saying. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Whenever we were watching Dragon Ball... He would come in the room and like stand in the doorway and he would go ah! <laughs> like, <laughs> and do like the charging up uh, grunts. <laughs> I love this guy so much. That's pretty good. That's yeah. really good. <laughs> and then we'd be like, we'd be like, shut up. We can't hear. And he'd be like, he'd be like, that's all they're saying. That's all they're doing. <laughs> Every time I walk by, that's all they're doing. <laughs>